welcome to the Thanksgiving episode of Stories of Strange Women. We're your hosts. I'm Tanya Hurley. And I'm Tracy Hurley Martin. And we're going to call it Friendsgiving, if you don't mind. We are? Yeah, because that's what I, that's what people are telling me, that it is uh, the kids. Well, it may be from the 90s show. From the 90s, I think it's that originated, right, with the Friends episode. And you're just now getting to it, probably? No. Yeah, I just noticed you're it. always decades later. I noticed so. it this year, and I like it because you're choosing who you choose to spend that day with is yeah. um, not necessarily your family. Your chosen family. Yeah, it's your chosen family. Yeah. I think our our best Thanksgivings were the ones in New York City when we first moved here and we were struggling. And our friends came over in rollerblades and scooters yeah. <laughs> with ties on. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And you don't have to deal with your racist uncles. Yeah. And, you know, all the, all the, the deep-seated... resentments and all of it. Yeah, the stress. Yeah. Um, it's just fun. Yeah, it is. It is. It, it, it's a great holiday. It's one of my favorite holidays because of that. Because, yeah. you you know, when you're with people that you want to be with and you're just eating. My two favorite things. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to, and I, we talked to today's guest, Kat Kinsman, about... Yay, Kat Kinsman. Yeah, as opposed to spending it with family and, and all of that anxiety and depression and uh, stress and... Yeah, if, uh, so so for those of you who don't know, Kat Kinsman is... Um, she's a senior editor at Time, Inc., the all-breakfast site, um, Extra Crispy. She's She was the editor and writer for CNN's Living, mm-hmm. but she um, she was a founding editor of Etocracy. I've seen her um, actually on CNN a few times talking about anxiety and depression, and another time she was talking about... Uh, her, the choice not to have children. Yeah. Right? That it's a choice. Yeah. Which she talks about, too, in this episode. Yeah. And she has this closed site online called Chefs with Issues. And it's about the food industry, people who work in the food industry exclusively talking about, talking openly, which they never do, about um, sexual harassment and depression, anxiety, um, food uh, eating disorders, She's just she yeah. she's the perfect person to talk to today. Yeah, she really for is. this for this holiday. Yeah, and how she, and how she dealt with her anxiety and depression by becoming a dominatrix, assuming yeah. a new a new pers- persona. Yeah, and um, that's how she control. she got control. She took control. Yeah, and um, so she's also the author of um, High Anxiety. Which I love that I love the book and I love the audiobook. Yeah. And you and I have suffered from anxiety and depression our whole lives and yeah. we're on medication. So if you and... are going home to that family that's <laughs> gonna cause any of those things, yeah. listen to her book on audio. If you're at the airport, um, you know, pick it Some up. Some last read minute it. therapy. Because it, it definitely amps up during the holidays. No one can dispute that, yeah. that anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, arm yourself It's going to be a, a very, very tough, almost impossible time for many of us. Yeah. So, um, and Kat is here to um, shed some light on how she gets through and her own personal story. And without further ado, we'd love to welcome Kat Kinsman. Today is a, a weird day, a little bit. It's the one-year anniversary of the book coming out. Yes. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I love your book. Yes. I love the audio book. I love your voice. Oh, I God, listen to book. it Thank when you. I'm freaking out. Oh, yeah. my. I will it just, helps me. I will just record mantras for you or whatever. <laughs> like, I, I would do whatever because, like, I, I have 
such goddamn empathy for all the weird kids and especially the weird girls. I've taken right now, the thing that the book opened up, um, I hope it's okay if I, with my editor, if I talk about this, like she was a weird kid and she's mm -hmm. fantastic. She, um, the reason, I had a you know little book party a year ago and she could uh, come to it because Johnny Marr's book came out the same day and she was the editor of that. Oh, wow. So she, she's the same. She came from uh, you know, Virginia, also basement kid and so empathized with the other, you know, p kids who, who were that. And I have so many women right now who are our age, who have, you know, daughters who they start, they're seeing, um, you know, some of this stuff manifest in and, you know, yeah. seeing anxiety, like depression. And it's several different like friends of mine. So I've started writing letters to the little girls. And I think that's something like that we, as the women who grew up weird mm -hmm. could, um, it could do is mm -hmm. say like I see you, uh, yeah. you know I see you, little girl. Here's what I it's, wish somebody I think had it's said why to me. I write young adult. Like yeah, I, I oh like to God. write. A, I like to write stories that I wish I had. I have in the high school. Oh, I have the first ghost girl on my my <laughs> phone, and I'm God. starting to read it because that's where I do all my reading is on my phone. I mean, I saw we all saw those same books like the Bridge of Terabithia mm -hmm. and <laughs> you know all the John Belair stuff, uh -huh. all the stuff that made yeah. us mm -hmm. feel reflected and and seen yeah, out there. Yeah, you you you. Just crave, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff when you're in this space, that vulnerable no. space. Yeah, and so for me, it was, I was ugly. Or at least I was told I was ugly from early on, and I suffered from anxiety and depression as long as I was aware of my feelings. Like, we're done kindergarten, mm -hmm. where um, also, you know, my mother is mentally ill and physically ill. We didn't understand the mental illness at that point, but we knew that she, you know, was physically ill. And I, it made me nervous. I didn't want to upset her. Um, I didn't want to upset her moods. I didn't want to make her feel physically worse or anything. And I so, I so thought that I could take care of some of this by being just the best little girl. I, I could be wow. not rocking the boat. Um, and I also knew that we were, my sister and I manifested in, in different ways. I don't I talk about her a huge amount because I want to protect her privacy, mm -hmm. but she's awesome. She's mm -hmm. awesome. She is um, is she older or she's younger? She's two years older than I am, and she's a weird person too, in a total in a way that mm -hmm. passes. Um, but she is a PhD psychologist who works with kids on the spectrum, and a lawyer. Oh wow! <laughs> I mean, she like she doesn't practice law, but she um, went to law school to so when kids hit the system and stuff, that there would be legislation to be able to sort of protect them and make policy and stuff. So she is Doctor Kinsman Esquire. Wow! Um, and she's also um, she's doesn't have kids either not married and mm -hmm. she's just awesome and lives life on her own terms and mm -hmm. um, but we manifested in different ways for our parents so she could she looks a lot presents a lot more normally um, than I do so she was able to sort of pass but she's you know not the most social person in the world and stuff but she you know she became tough buried herself in books and did that way I um, didn't look like other people in a in a weird way um, my mother didn't want to have two daughters with long hair so I had short hair and I looked like a boy 
and um, it would and the anxiety would manifest in really was odd she ways. like a perfectionist or did she no she just uh, she because I look so much like her I okay. am it's uncanny how much my mother and I look alike she her hair wouldn't really grow out long mm -hmm. it, and so she thought oh um, you, yours won't either okay so I looked like a little boy and I got misgendered all the time and told I was ugly and um, she also was going in for surgeries all the time for she, like various back and knee problems and stuff so I was always just worried that she wasn't okay so I would go into these strange I would develop these strange habits and I was uh, watching an episode of This Is Us recently because I do that I outsource my emotions to that when I can't cry yeah okay. <laughs> and That's a good it's too. really good I watched that I watched the problem episode of Buffy <laughs> there are several <laughs> different things that he uses as a catalyst and uh -huh. um, in there there's a foster a child who wasn't washing her hair and because she had alopecia stress-induced alopecia and, and stuff and I was actually watching this last night remembering I went through a phase where I didn't wash my hair and it, it was greasy, it was weird, I got a sore on my head. I was afraid of the water for some for reason. For how long? I don't even remember, mm -hmm. like, because I've blocked out some of See, this. See, it's, it's so, I mean, I went through a phase where I couldn't drink anything yeah. out of cans because I thought I was going to be poisoned. Oh, yeah. And so I was just dehydrated yeah. and very ill and couldn't move out of bed for three months. Oh, I yeah. literally I had to go over to her apartment and oh, yeah. but what, she what, had to watch me drink something and then yeah. she'd drink it after what me. What is that? I mean, what? Yeah. It's, I mean, that's... Why didn't you wash your hair? You felt like it, you I were would afraid of water, but what were I'd, you afraid of? Well, I, I bathed. It's a weird thing. I would take baths. Okay. And uh, so I was otherwise totally clean. Um, but I, for some reason, there was something about it, like putting my head underwater and each night I would have this negotiation, like, oh, tonight's tonight, I'll do it. No, maybe tomorrow I was got to the point where I had to get an ointment to put on my head because there was a scab. Uh -huh. And I remember, um, like somebody like, a how kid old in, were you when this was going on? I had on? to be really like, I was probably eight, nine, 10 or something. Again, uh -huh. I just don't even uh -huh. remember. And I was actually even on like the elementary school cheerleading squad. And I remember like the coach saying something to me about it, about like my hair being greasy because I had to put in like an ointment on it. Some kid in the neighborhood saying like, do you wash your hair? And in other ways, I was totally functional. Got, you know, the, you know, the, the, the smart girl in the, in mm -hmm. the class, the one who, you know, sort of starting to write things. And, um, but it was, it was this weird thing too, because my parents, um, Parents in that age, you know, it was the 70s or maybe early 80s at, at that, it was actually probably early 80s by that point, just didn't occur to parents. And like, I don't blame them because they weren't, you know, nobody was talking about this stuff, mm -hmm. that there might be something mentally off yeah. about what was going on much easier to deal with physical stuff. I had a bout of being out of school when I was in, I want to say like... Sixth or seventh grade. Is this with the mono? They said you yeah, had that mono. Was, that was but the first time. Was yeah. it depression? Uh, it was depression. It was absolutely. Uh -huh. And um, how old were you? I'm sorry, I missed that. So I, I had to be. I'm trying to remember. I had to be at that point in like seventh or eighth. Actually, sixth or seventh grade. So I'm just trying to remember okay. the teacher who I had. I was being bullied by a teacher. In addition oh, to, um, you know, this this girl, because I, and I was being bullied because I was getting the The girl was horrible to you, your she, classmate, right? I, that said she was your best friend. Yeah. And made you, and tortured you, basically, yeah. right? And at this point, I have empathy for her. Because, again, like, a friend of mine was telling me recently, somebody wanted to write a book called What Everyone's Deal Was. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I know now 
much more. That's a great idea. What everyone's <laughs> deal was because I, uh, everybody tells me now because I'm open about what I, you know, mm -hmm. write about. So I have people from my past, from grade school, from high school, from college, uh, writing to me and saying like, oh my God, I didn't know you were dealing with this. Here's what was going on with me. And I know okay. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she actually revealed to me sort of later in high school, she did apologize. Mm -hmm. She was going through horrible stuff at, at home. And I think her mother was unwell mm -hmm. as well. And they were trying to, and she was, I, I look back and see what she was dealing with. There was some imposed OCD, mm -hmm. um, you know, going on. And her parents were directly telling her like, why don't you get grades like hers? Why didn't you make the cheerleading squad like her? Um, her oh, best friend mm -hmm. was becoming very close to me as well. And she felt threatened and she saw me as taking away everything she had and being compared to me. Mm -hmm. So she lashed out in the way that she knew how to. And yes, it was awful and ugly at the time. And now I, you know, I know that that she was up against a lot of stuff mm -hmm. and you come out of this manifesting in different ways. Either you can lean into it and do the same sorts mm -hmm. of things, or you can evolve in opposition, to, you know, to it. I saw, you know, my husband was, you know, bullied and he was he, like, even by his own father, you know, and it, it, he heard his own father call him a faggot, you know, mm -hmm. overheard that. Cause he, he's amazing. He loves, you know, dancing and theater. He's a you know, theater nerd and a uh, you know, fantastic composer of music. And he was like a new wave punk kid. Mm -hmm. And when you're in high school in the South, in, mm -hmm. you know, in, right. in that sort of era, you know, he's 51, um, that doesn't fly so well. And you're not, you know, a country club kid or a jock or whatever. And right. it's looked at in a suspect kind of way. He evolved by becoming friends with the misfits, you know, the other, mm -hmm. you know, the, the other weird kids, the, the gay kids, the, you know, you know, the people who just didn't quite fit in. And it's, he's like this incredible empathetic creature like this. And it's, it's an amazing thing to watch. And I just actually, the, so the, the book proposal that I wrote, mm -hmm. uh, was actually about being a weird girl and, um, the, and, and about sort of all of these stories about how weird kids end up like saving the world mm -hmm. and become that. Um, and what happened was the editor who is herself, you know, a yeah. wonderful, wonderful weird girl, um, because I had an essay go viral about, uh, being anxious. And she called my agent and said like, she made a blanket offer. She said, if Kat writes a book about anxiety, I'm just going to put this money out here. She, he said, I'm actually sending out this other proposal today. <laughs> Can you hold on? Wow. And, and uh, she did. And she said, well, actually, uh, no, so, somebody else was willing to pick that up, but I wanted to go with her because I knew she would understand this story. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote a book about anxiety instead. Oh. And I didn't want to. Oh, God, mm -hmm. I didn't want to. I didn't want to be the poster girl for this. Yeah. Um, it's not sexy. It's like, I... I'm thankful you are. Yeah, I'm thankful. I did that dumb shit teenage thing about, like, once I finally got a depression uh, uh, diagnosis, I thought, like, oh, good, I can lean in further to being the weird, tortured artist person who hangs out <laughs> in her basement and, yeah. you know, and, you know, kind of went with that. Yeah. I already knew I was, uh, I was never going to be pretty in the same way that these other girls were. And I saw a few examples in the world of what I saw that I thought was beautiful. I saw Debbie Mazar on that show where she played the secretary. Mm -hmm. of, she was like a bit part. And then she, and she ended up being on the spinoff 
of it. I think she was like on LA Law. No, it was like much earlier than that. I think it was like she was like a secretary in like LA Law or one of those shows. And I was oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. She <laughs> was like pale and dark and like nobody I'd ever seen on, on TV. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I saw Anne Magnuson on um, Anything But Love mm -hmm. and like poster child for like weird girl from Kentucky who made good. And mm -hmm. she was presented as this like, madcap weird downtown person. I didn't know that she was Anne freaking Magnuson <laughs> yeah. at the time and bong water and you know yeah. I just saw like wow she's incredible. I saw um Jan's uh, Jan Brady's aunt who uh, I forget who played her but it was like some Oh yeah. Yeah. And oh she my came, god. She wasn't ridiculed. She like at first it was sort of like she's ugly. She's oh. weird. And I'm like no turns out. Can she's okay. so seriously like Jan Brady's aunt is a godsend cuz she's she's like yeah I've been proposed to all over the all over the world. I don't have time for it. Most and more than freaking anything, when I was home being depressed, like clinical depression, you know, out of school for months my freshman year, I saw Auntie Mame on cable. I saw Rosalind Russell, mm -hmm. Auntie Mame, and you're talking about a woman who is fabulous, you know, over the top, doesn't have kids, lives in New York. I was like, that's all I ever want to be. Yeah. And I actually yeah. got, I sent, I have this, there's this wonderful young composer named Cecil Price Walden. And he is a gay, strange boy who lives in Mississippi. And I love this kid. Like, and I call him kid. He's like, you know, in his early twenties or something, he wrote an opera about collard greens, which is how I met him. <laughs> he's the most fantastic, beautiful creature. And he's, and I can, and I can say that he's, you know, suffers from mental illness because he's public about it. I, I'm very careful about like outing mm -hmm. people who don't want to, but he has it in his Twitter bio. So, uh, <laughs> and he's so fantastic. And I, I sent him a blue light, like one of those, uh, like a full spectrum, like blue lights. And he got it mm -hmm. yesterday and he wrote on Twitter, like, thanks to my auntie Mame like, <laughs> for sending me this. And I was like, that's all I've ever wanted to be. You just lit up. Oh, we, we don't have, uh, we don't have kids, but we have, oh God, I've lost count like 13 uh, great grandnieces and nephews. I haven't oh, even wow. met all of them because <laughs> Douglas uh, is much younger than his siblings and so their kids have kids and stuff. Uh -huh. And we said we want to be like Auntie Mame and Uncle yeah. whatever his name was to do <laughs> them so when they come to New York, maybe we can show them. And because there's got to be one kid in the bunch who's weird. I oh, hope. Yeah, yeah. There's got to be. There's, the odd, the average, there's yeah. one I have yeah. my money on who I think yeah. is going to be like. <laughs> you know, You're watching. I love them all, but there's one who I, in particular, I'm like, so. Hmm. Like, because I see them see me. Yeah. And I see them that we're not like the other people. And I love Douglas's family, and there are a ton of them. And, you know, and I, but. I, it's interesting to see the kids watch us because they don't see people who are like us who sort of present gothly. Like he can pass. He was like, yeah. you know, he's a very dapper man. Mm -hmm. um, but he also sort of wears black rings and stuff like I do and, you know, has these sideburns and, and things and wears like Jeffrey West shoes and stuff. And he wears those almost as like a shibboleth to other weird people who they see him you know, in a business meeting, all you know, three piece mm -hmm. suited up. Yeah. And but it's a thing where he knows that you know, if he deals with a lot of, you know, artists and things like um, 
you know, look like seeking housing, like from like, you know, houses for, who was it? It was somebody, oh, like in Asbury, Hilton, <laughs> and, you know, and so everybody from this. Here? Uh, yeah, I, I think, yeah, he got him a, play, like a, like a pied terre Actually, okay. he was getting it for somebody else. Like, yeah. um, maybe that was TMI or whatever. <laughs> it was for, it was for a friend. <laughs> um, yeah. Maybe that's that kind off, of thing maybe, for me and Asbury. Maybe, maybe, maybe that part's off the record. <laughs> uh, but to like nervous young artists and stuff who want to find somewhere to live, he's actually currently working on a building in the Bronx that specifically has set, like housing set aside for artists. And he's trying, oh. he is this day. Um, out in the Bronx trying to figure out how they can get like uh, a recording studio that tenants of the building can use a black box thing a rehearsal wow. space trying to make it that's as, a dream yeah I and, wished I had that yeah so he's here and to make sure the people who can actually like so people can uh, afford to make art and do that and I was like you need a podcast studio in there you need yeah. a green screen you need all I this need kind of stuff I need to live there yeah yeah <laughs> and so it's everything from they just want to make sure that there's like affordable housing in there too because you know nice. there needs to be a place yeah. so that artists can live but he's in these high level business meetings and sometimes there are nervous artists in there and he'll lightly like put his hand out with the like the black ring on there like as and a cemetery cross yeah. on there to be like, like I'm I one of you. you. Like I snuck in. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And you know You're safe. I, yeah. And and I think that's one of those sort of like bat signal things that you know that we can do for uh-huh. for one another that we can like also show to the weird little kids. It's like the safety and, pin that people were wearing for Yeah. Them. And it's you know one <laughs> of those things like I can't kind of pass and I learned to be okay with it even when I've tried like I used to work at CNN and I was on air a fair amount there and I remember I, uh, like going in for hair and makeup and I was trying my best to be like should I look like you know the other people on air I had to like in my blue dress and stuff mm-hmm. and I you know and I was asking the producers I was like do you need me to tone it down and they never made me uh, tone it down they're like no we have you on here um because you, because you're you and I remember going into hair and makeup and the guy saying like oh so are we gonna do CNN goth on you and I was like yeah, CNN gone. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I mean, I knew that like if I was really like presenting a topic that was about food safety or like uh, you know immigration and restaurants or whatever, I would maybe cover up some tattoos or whatever. But otherwise, like I'd just be on there and they let it go. And that was the bookers were awesome about it and didn't make me tone it down. And I would oh. sometimes get tweets like, hey, you know that goth chick is like back on <laughs> on CNN. <laughs> and sometimes I would get comments like, why do they? Oh my God, people are jerks. Um, yeah. You know, somebody told me I was, I was, I was on like Sanjay Gupta's show one day um, and it was actually a guest host that day, but he was like, you know, I was already for my masturbation session and this like ugly, like man looking woman like came on there. I was like, uh, you know, and ruined it all. I was like, first of all, you're planning a masturbation session to Sanjay Gupta. <laughs> okay, fine. Hey, day. <laughs> okay, fine. Because it was a female guest host that day. And I was like, all right, dude, like wow. glad you planning yeah all right let's yeah. do that like this says way more about you than about me <laughs> <laughs> i'm like all right so but i have a goddamn rhino skin at this point about like you know my appearance and i've i mean the thing about like honestly the gift that that time out for being de- depressed uh was that i got to recalibrate what was important to me and mm-hmm. i sat home i read <laughs> jane Eyre a million times yeah. um i my dad had sort of given me the gift of having douglas adams in my life mm-hmm. um and i was able to take myself out of the kind of mainstream and pressure 
for a little while and concentrate on, I didn't even know I was doing this, this was not conscious, and mm -hmm. like think like, what do, what do I like? What are the books that really speak to me? My mother, like, you know, great taste in literature and stuff, like never met like a Bronte or, mm -hmm. you know, she didn't like. Mm -hmm. um, and really like that's a gift oh god yeah. i'm so yeah, so so gift. so yeah lucky. that's something we did not have mm -hmm. i really like yeah. you know hit the jackpot with that and like oh you you want more so you know maybe you should read emma now you mm -hmm. should you know test the d'urbervilles yeah. <laughs> you know whatever that was your therapy yeah it absolutely yeah. was and i was like well here's here's my home they let me um they let me paint in the basement Oh my God, I remember in particular, and then I kept on going with that. I remember my my dad at one point saying like, well, you're not painting as much these days. And I was like, well, I'm really waiting for the muse to speak to me or whatever it is. <laughs> and he's like, if you really want to be an artist, you it's he's like, you don't have to pick. It's just your job. Yeah. I was like, duly noted father. Yeah. <laughs> like, So I would go down in the basement. Oh God, I made such terrible art. I remember I had a, like a, I didn't have the Barbie doll. I had the Darcy doll. They never fit all the Barbie clothes. Darcy, I remember the theme. Yeah. yeah, and she was... Uh, Darcy was bigger, right? She no. was bigger. That yeah. was yeah. PJ? No. Who was, was PJ? Dar Dar PJ was a friend of someone. Darcy's? <laughs> Darcy had <laughs> She had knees that you could move, which was very important to me. But I remember the point at which I thought, like, okay, I'm serious golf girl now. I had, I had uh, quit the cheerleading squad. Or I didn't go back for the next year for cheerleading squad after my, my, my life started to crash together because I would go out to this club in Cincinnati. I never told my parents that I would do this. It was sort of an underground club called the Clubhouse, H-A-U-S. And all of the course. free kids, the freak kids would go there. My friend Tiffany would go there. Um, and because she didn't have as many rules in her house, I would dress in my black whatever. And it was the gay kids, the goth kids, the, uh, there were skinheads, but they weren't racist skinheads. Right. And yeah. Like, Straight edge. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, all the weird kids would sort of converge there. And for a few hours, you know, every week I would get to you know, listen to this music and see these people. And I was thought like, I'm never going to be as cool as them. This is, they're all like mm -hmm. really living it. Cause there were some kids in there who were like street kids mm -hmm. and who had been kicked out of their house for being right. gay, who, you know, whatever. And I found, you know, solidarity with them. And, um, I remember bringing like a, you know, a friend who I met there who was a gay hustler, whatever, like home. And my parents like welcomed him in and were really lovely. They were yeah. always really, great about that but I I was like okay I'll go out and do this see my people yeah. <laughs> every once in a while hide in the the basement and paint and then uh the summer between my junior and senior years of high school I got into an arts program uh, for several weeks at um in Kentucky and I met like the other weirdos and yeah. it was awesome and it turned out that one of them lived in my same town he went to the public high school I went to a catholic high school a couple towns over and we spent the rest of our um high school time hanging out uh, being friends he lived with me for a while in college we've always you know it's always been like platonic mm -hmm. friendship and stuff but I just I didn't know there was somebody else out there yeah. oh god the mixtapes oh god <laughs> can't they even were imagine so so great and and I was I was a little bit nervous coming into this but during that time that I was by myself I was able to recalibrate my taste to being what I liked and what really spoke to me and so much of it was like in a minor key mm -hmm. and right. once I met these other kids who would make me tapes with like you know, the black swans on them uh -huh. and fetus. And, <laughs> you know, and because a bunch of them went to an arts high school in Louisville. And so they, they all had each other as a mm -hmm. support system. So when I 
I remember coming home and it was just, it was devastating not to have that all directly around me. I, run, I ran my parents' phone bill up like crazy, talking to them. We would send each other um, letters and with, when we try to get creative with the envelopes, about like, can I burn it? Can I safety pin it? Can I do whatever? <laughs> I would send away for the Burning Airlines catalog and like buy a, a Cure t-shirt or, <laughs> or whatever, you know, and, and have, oh my God, I listened to um, Music for the Masses was the thing that f saved my life. Like, and I listened to it on repeat in my basement and I just, remember listening it's still, to it's my favorite Depeche Mode album I learned yeah. I learned breathing I told from, Martin that a hundred times I learned breathing from I want you now and that's the mm -hmm. thing that actually yeah. taught me how to breathe and be calm like that yeah. if I was in a panic attack I would mm -hmm. listen to that but I found the other kids for whom this was the truth as well and then I went to art school <laughs> and and there you go but you know but I I didn't and, and, and art school was actually, some in high school and some in art school was sort of where, where I realized that other people were suffering from mental health issues too. Mm -hmm. I remembered, um, or actually I found out uh, my senior year of, of high school also, um, there's this thing in Kentucky, I don't know if they still do it, called the Golden 100. And they pick 100 uh, students from, without the, from throughout the state who did really well on their PSATs and bring them all together for a few days of, I don't remember exactly what it was, but, um, you know, classes, but to meet each other and to kind of celebrate oh, it. And nice. it, was, it, was, mm -hmm. it was really super cool. Um, there were two other uh, girls from my high school who were there. And, you know, we sort of had a passing knowledge of each other, didn't really necessarily socialize and we were they had us for a little prep meeting in the cafeteria I remember the three of us were sitting there one was super popular she was a twin um and I and she she and her sister were actually always so cool to me and they didn't have to be because they were really popular um and then this this other girl who was sort of like an academic grind but she passed by because she had a boyfriend turned out the boyfriend used to beat the shit out of her but mm -hmm. um and we were all sitting there each from our different spheres and I was definitely like the so that like weird solo wolf and but I they sort of both came to me and told me they were in therapy too because I'd been kind of open about the fact that I came back to school and I was like yeah I see a shrink now uh -huh. um and you know and some people were a little bit weird about it but for the most part and how old were you at that point when I came back to school it was my freshman year so what are you then, like 14 or something like that? And then for the rest of the time, I was just like, I was still playing cheerleader. Oh, oh, so the whole thing about going to the club was that I would go out to that club and then I would have to cheer at a game the next day and I would still have all the shit in my hair that made it stand up and have my black nail polish on. And my hair, and I was trying to put my hair in a respectable way, but it was just falling in my face. And I had the nails and like the, the squad person or whatever, the adult, she, I remember her looking over at me and doing this like pump thing, like with her hand, like hairspray. Like, do you need to spray your hair? Because it was, and I was like, my worlds are colliding too. <laughs> so I freed myself from it for my senior year of high school, where I just got to be like, you Had know, cranky girl <laughs> and cranky art girl. Um, but yeah, I, I remember sitting this really powerful moment where I was talking about it and both of them saying like, oh, you know, I, you know, maybe if we can just keep it in this room, I see a therapist too. And, and they're like, I'm never going to, you know, tell, we sort of had to make a, you know, pact and, and talk about it. Um, but it was, it was an amazing moment of like, we're all going through this stuff. We're just not talking about it. Mm -hmm. Like I happened to be vocal and like these girls were not judging me for it. And I wasn't judging them for it. And I realized I could be a safe space mm -hmm. for this. And that was really powerful to me mm -hmm. to be able to do that. And then I got to um, art school and 
bunch of weird, wonderful people there, some of whom I'm still uh, close with. And I had a friend who was deeply, deeply depressed. And he was the first person I ever met who I could really, really talk about it with. Mm -hmm. um, and he's, and I, and it was such a godsend to me to be able to really do that. And I, and the thing, I would look at myself comparatively because like, it's not as bad as, as his because he sometimes is really pretty housebound and uh, just can't function and, and stuff. So I sort of felt like, okay, I, I get this. Like he's definitely got it worse than me, but I could really talk with him. And I also had to talk with people because it was around that time that my mother got really, really bad and had to be hospitalized. And mm -hmm. so I needed somewhere to put that. <laughs> and um, he was fantastic about talking about it. And, you know, and he, he was such an interesting person. Uh, and you'll notice I'm using the past tense about him um, because oh. he would... Uh, People didn't know this about him so much because when he was not doing well, he would hide himself away. And when he was in public, he was the brightest light in the room. Right. Oh my God. We all have this imitation of him that we do. Oh my God, Dave. And he was, he didn't come out until um, later in school. We all knew. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and he tried to end his life at one point, like when we were in school and there was a fantastic uh, counselor there who I'm still friends with. This awesome, awesome wow. man. Yeah, he's, he's still out there and he was... Um, you know, Dave's like girlfriend at the time like found him, called uh, this this counselor, and he saved his life. He came and got him and like you know took him to the hospital and then made his parents deal with what was happening. Mm -hmm. um, and to to be in that kind of support where people weren't afraid to talk about it was everything to me. Um, and I, I, you know, I like what a gift to be able to mm -hmm. have. You know, sadly later he did take his own life mm -hmm. and. You know, he was he was up against a whole lot of demons and stuff. But I still I think about him all the time. I hear his laugh. I see a car that looks like mm -hmm. they don't really make them anymore. But I yeah. you know see ones that look like that. And I think like you know, dear God, if only he'd been allowed to talk about what he needed to talk about with more people at the time. And it's just you know, I was I was brought up uh, that you help people. Mm -hmm. You know, you're very helpful on Twitter and on uh, social media. You're very empathetic. You're very, you know, you encourage people to take care of themselves and horrible what, what we're going through. I in look to you political after something atmosphere. happens in the yeah. world, mm -hmm. um, especially oh, in this climate. Mm -hmm. And you're like, if you need to step off of social media, it's you know, take care of yourself. Important. I mean, I, I credit that to my parents. I mean, they really are, um, they really, they're, you know, they're, very Catholic and stuff, but brought me up in, in a tradition of service. Like they always told me because I was always good at school. I always had roof over my head and enough to eat. And I was told like you, I remember them telling me you were given more than most people were, and it is mm -hmm. your duty to help people. Mm -hmm. And I overcorrect on that sometimes. And I really like, I, I used to just not take myself into consideration whatsoever. And that's extraordinarily, that. that's extraordinary. I definitely yeah. see oh, that. I did that in relationships. I did that in whatever. And I was just like, I don't matter. And now I, and what happened was I met a man who, I can't even believe that like we met in the middle on this. We were both the caretakers always of like, you know, always the one who did the vast majority of like the emotional lifting and all yeah. this stuff. So uh, we actually circled around each other for a bit. Like we immediately, when we met, it was just like, you know, like the spark went off and like done deal. 
but we in some ways circled around each other because we were both like, wait, what do you want out of this? Because we were so yeah. used to people taking advantage well, before, of that. Well, before that, you were in a relationship <gasps> with someone who lied to you about uh, everything. And then you oh, became yeah. a dominatrix. Yeah. And someone who has severe anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. I mean, and moving to New York City. Oh, yeah. A city where it's not <laughs> oh, yeah. the best to live It'll with. make you want to hit yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> really, like, um, So let's talk about that. Let's talk about yeah. that relationship and then your the dominatrix world and what why yeah. you entered that world and yeah. why you felt at home there. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure, yeah. So I yeah. met this guy... Uh, it was on online, and I do not blame this on online because I also met some really fantastic people online. I've met some of the best people in my life online, including, you know, some romantic partners and stuff. So this was post 9-11, and I had broken up, or this guy had broken up with me, a previous guy, and it was the longest relationship I'd had. So, I, and we still, we had actually made a pact not to talk, um, so to preserve the friendship for later. And, Luckily, we are still friends all these many years. But we checked in mm -hmm. with each other to make sure each other was still alive. And then I felt so goddamn alone. I lived by myself. I, you know, I remember... Did you move to the city by yourself? Did you know anyone? I moved here with my uh, roommate from grad school. Okay. And then, uh, you know, she got married after mm -hmm. that and stuff. And, and we kind of... And then she moved to Houston. Okay. And then... But I, you know, I was lucky enough that I hit the ground running in, in New York because I was on an indie pop mailing list, a listserv, when I was in grad school. We all loved, like, Sarah Records and Sub Pop and, <laughs> you know, and um, everybody was super accessible and wonderful. Like, I fell in love with all the music that Sarah Records was coming out with. And then, like, of course, then I got became friends with the woman who ran the label. Like, she came to my wedding. And, like, yeah. like, it's just... Like, uh, like, I, like, music is so important to me. I fell in love with all the stuff from the Pacific Northwest, like, you know, all the stuff that was coming out on K Records. And online, I was able to meet other people. This was, I was in grad school from 94 to 96 and found this indie pop mailing list where, like, I dated a person from it, like, you know, <laughs> but moved to New And I would come down to New York to see shows. And uh, uh, there were, and one dude sent me a mixtape. <laughs> And it was still like one of the best mixtapes I've ever gotten. And he's in the music industry. He uh, licenses a lot of stuff to like be put in commercials and movies and all that kind of stuff. So it's great. Like I'll hear like Magnetic Field song on a commercial and be like, oh, I think he probably put that in there, yeah. <laughs> you know, and like, and it's such a, a really great thing. I'm like, yes, the weird kids are taking over. <laughs> um, and he sent me this fantastic mixtape and I like met him out at a show and, and uh, he... And he introduced me to all his friends and there were uh, other people on the mailing list as well. And they just became my family when I moved here. So I had like instant family and we just went out to shows all the time. And it was, you know, I'm still in touch with, with a bunch of those people. I went out to see um, Trash Can Sinatra's like do a, a show at Joe's Pub a couple weeks ago. That was, oh my God, the best thing in the <laughs> whole world. And uh, I ran into him there and he was with another person I oh, knew. Wow. And I'm like, yes, of course you're here. And so I really had this like um, great social life of that. So I was, I was never lacking for community in mm -hmm. New York, which is a great thing. I was totally lacking for money. Yeah. <laughs> really, you know, big and scary kind of way. And sometimes I was, you know, lacking for... I usually had uh, a boyfriend or, you know, but they almost always lived somewhere else. 
And I, you know, and the guy who I'd been dating before this might as well have lived <laughs> elsewhere too, because we just didn't see each other. And he was very protective of his space and his mm-hmm. solitude and stuff. He has since evolved and it's lovely. And he's got this fantastic, he, his girlfriend is fantastic and I adore her and stuff. So he's, people change. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but I had decided I don't want to date anyone else who lives far away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, dated a guy who, you know, uh, you know, one who had lived in Virginia, a guy who lived in uh, New Hampshire and stuff. And, but I, I felt really acutely alone at that particular point. So I went on, it was Nerve at the time. And was it Nerve? Yeah, it was Nerve. Um, and found this guy and he, we started corresponding and I was so smitten. Oh God, so smitten. Um, you know, quoted back the song that I had referenced in you know, in my profile. <laughs> you know, like uh, it just like all of the things they hit. We had a robust email correspondence, moved to phone. I was terrified about the phone and stuff, but it really made me feel like less alone. Um, you know, we would, I don't remember if we started like, f- you know, phone sexing at that, you know, at that particular point or not. But I felt really, I was smitten. I would, before we really all had like, you know, cell phones where you could get your email, I would rush home from events to see if he had emailed, all of this kind of stuff. I was, I was in it. Mm-hmm. I was really, really in it. And so far as I knew, he, his name was Sam and he lived in New York and he traveled a lot and all this stuff. And we finally uh, met up and I was sold. He looked, um, looked a little bit older than he said he was, a little bit shorter than you know mm-hmm. he, he said he was and stuff, but he was really handsome. And I remember he took me out uh, to Petrosian and fed me caviar <laughs> and, um, wow. you know, and came back to, you know, we kissed in the cab. I remember like making out listening to magnetic fields, uh, you know, and he started buying all the music. I told him to, he made me a really killer mixtape, <laughs> you know, all of this stuff. And I, I fell so hard. And then he, he broke up with me and I was, I was just, I was shell shocked. And just, how long have you were you dating? It had been a, at this point, like it's sort of a blur at this point, yeah. but it had been a, a few months, maybe three months mm-hmm. or something. And uh, we, and I, I was, I was like, wait, what, what the hell? Or he came and he tried to break up with me, and I wouldn't let him. Um, and I was like, no, 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 this is not happening. Um, oh, and there was a whole thing. I couldn't go to his apartment because it was messy. And uh, and that I I totally understood. Right, right. You got that. I completely, and and also because, you know, the phone calls would come from around the world and all this kind of stuff. So I did get, and he was like, I just never have time to clean. I'm like, I totally get it. Come over here and kiss me. (laughs) And he took me out to nice restaurants and, you know, all of this stuff. I remember he took me to Valentine's uh, dinner at uh, La Caravelle. And uh, I just, I felt so fancy. And, um... And it was, you know, and I was just thought like, oh my God, I finally feel like I'm being treated like an adult woman. (laughs) And maybe I'm not, your boyfriends before, they'd been great and stuff, but I always had to pick up the bill. I had to, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of this stuff. Felt like a grown up relationship. And he broke up with me and I was like, I was devastated. I was freaked out. I was, I just, I didn't understand. And I got an email from him saying like, look, um, Oh God, now I remember. Let's see what happened. I, I, I didn't understand. And, and he was just like, I just can't do this anymore. Uh, I can't give you what you need. And I, 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 it was a mess. And I, I would send him postcards when I would travel. And um, I hadn't been to his place. And I thought like, oh my God, I don't want to be a crazy person, but I just, I'm not this girl. I'm not this girl, but I, I have to go and at least like look at the, the building and stuff. Where he lives, right? In Brooklyn Heights, right? Didn't 
exist. I walked by, I'm like, that's a pizza place. Where am I going? Wait, no, wait, what, what, what? And I was, I have, I felt so crazy. And I tried to look him up and I couldn't find him anywhere. And I couldn't, there was no, and I'm pretty good at Google. I've gotten way better at Google since then. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I was just like, what the hell? I don't understand. Like, did I make all of this up? And I, and I sent him, a, I'm like, please help me. I was like, I know I shouldn't be writing to you, whatever, but it, like, where was I sending those those postcards? Like, where was I doing that? Like, and he said, okay, I'm gonna come to your house. I'm gonna explain um, what's going on. I'm like, and he showed up and I was just sitting there. I remember like clutching this pillow and he said, everything I told you about how uh, I feel about you is true. Some other things are not like starting with my name. Wow. And he had a whole different name. And he lived in D.C. And he would take the train up or fly up. And uh, by that point, he had separated from his wife, but he had been with, he had been, he was married. And wow. by the time he came and told me, he had uh, officially separated with his wife. And I was just sitting there like, uh, what do you do in that moment? I mean, now, obviously, I'd be like, get the hell out of my house you know like right. you crazy person and I'm going to tell everybody I know and mm -hmm. and I was so shell-shocked I was so screwed up by, by this that I was just like and he just tried to justify it he's like you know I he's like I just I got in too deep and I kept telling myself that um you know it's gonna be uh you know next time I'll tell her you know I'll, I'll get out before I actually meet her I'll get out before you know, but I had to come and meet you. Oh, I'll get out before, like, uh -huh. you know, we sleep together. I remember I had, like, put off sleeping with him because I just really wanted to feel, like, emotionally safe and stuff like that. So we went to Vegas, and it, and then the parts came together later because, like, I had to rent the hotel room, and, like, and he was paying for things in cash, not credit card, and, uh, you know, and, like, all these, like, you don't think that somebody's <laughs> no. pulling all this shit. And it turned out, like, he would come to New York, and he would, like, save he would put his wallet in a locker at like penn station i think they still had lockers at penn station and stuff. what oh yeah. yeah why wait why why that so i wouldn't find his driver's license okay. or his credit cards or anything okay. anything with his name on it he slipped a couple times and somehow or once it, wow like, he really went for it well he had to lie for a living um, to get too. a locker at penn station oh. my ex had a locker at penn wow. station now that i think about crazy well, he, he right? totally yeah Oh he should have had one yeah. because he... Oh, God. There's a big story there. Oh, Jesus. Like, thank God that didn't work out. It's thank so... God. Oh, thank God. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> so... Well, the thing is, like, I, I sort of... He justified it, and he's a smooth talker, and he mm -hmm. does, like, labor rights stuff for a living. He's a do-gooder for a yeah, living. Uh -huh. Professional do-gooder. So he has to lie his way into, fact, like, third-world factories where there's, like, shenanigans going on and uh -huh. stuff. And I think he justified a lot of his behavior to himself by thinking, well, I do such good things for the rest of the world so I can, you know, yeah. pull, so I can pull all of this. And I, I just, I, I didn't know what to do. And I thought, okay, um, can we go to dinner? And I stayed with him. My friends had to re-meet him under his real name. Oh, they were so, wow. oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was How, um And they were, they were not, and they were all like, okay, we'll do this because we love you. And they yeah. all just wanted to murder yeah. him. And I couldn't get past, uh, I mean, and the thing is, like, I was, uh, I, I, how much longer did you date him after like, you found out his real name? Like six months. And he was yeah. the one who actually broke up with me um, because I would have stayed. My head was so screwed up. Yeah. 
And that's the thing is I'm like so glad they're so, broke up such <laughs> charming liars. Um, yeah. You know, and it's it's weird because I'll still see him. Uh, he's st he still does like a lot of media stuff because of what he does. So I'll like hear his voice from the other room and like walk out like there he is talking about like, you know, whatever, like labor thing. Uh -huh. It is like, all right. Um, and, but we had gotten to a point where I just couldn't trust it. Like I wanted to, um, and I just, and I wanted more out of a relationship, but now I was like, okay, yeah, I have to go to DC all the time or he would come or he would travel. And he told me I was being super needy. And I was like, yeah, it's crazy wanting to, you know, verify things about your boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember I would, he had moved I out. I mean, did you like, you couldn't have trusted him after that. I, oh. I wanted to so you bad. You wanted to, but you couldn't but my, have really. I couldn't have really. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I wanted to so badly. I'd put in so much effort. I didn't want to think. And also I thought, oh, this is what I deserve. I don't deserve love. I yeah. don't deserve real love. This is just apparently what I get. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is just what I have to deal with. Uh, you know, normal. And because I thought, like, because I deal with anxiety and depression, this is all I'm going to get, really. Mm -hmm. I don't deserve more than this. And it got to the point I had actually gone to Thanksgiving at his parents' house. And, you know, met the parents, got along crazily well. Like all of, it was, it was great. And, um, and they were kind of like, oh, you're really good for it. They hadn't known about everything. We had to lie to them about how long we'd been together and wow, all this. Lies, lies, lies. Yeah, because of, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, where it fit yeah. in with his marriage <laughs> and, yeah. you know, all of this stuff. So I was being made to lie. But at the same time, I thought like, okay, maybe I wanted to trust that he had my best interest at heart that, or maybe entertain the possibility like I was so compelling that like he had to jump through all these hoops. But I remember at one point he asked me, he's like, well, weren't you flattered that I went through all this? I was like, yeah, no, no, no. And I was well, like, but no, because it, and, and I think he, he got some satisfaction with having gotten away with it. And I made, and I, by the way, just to clarify, I made very, very, very sure that he was actually separated from his wife mm -hmm. before we like got back together. Cause if that had been together, mm -hmm. you know, whatsoever, I yeah. would have completely stepped out. Cause like, I, I never met this woman. I feel for her. Mm -hmm. like, holy shit. Mm -hmm. But I wanted, I needed to tell myself that he was the person I thought he was and maybe he had stumbled. Um, I ended up meeting his best friend who I'm still friends with. She's awesome. <laughs> and, um, and she, when she found out what the, what was going on, she was like, uh, and, and, you know, he confessed to her before he came and told me he's, he, she's like, leave this poor woman alone, like for the rest of her life. So she doesn't have to know that you did this to mm -hmm. her. Mm -hmm. Um, and so eventually, so I met his parents and then immediately after that, like within a few days, I couldn't get a hold of him. I couldn't get him on the phone. I couldn't, you know, he, he just kind of ghosted me. It was weird. And I mentioned, I called his office and got him on the phone that way. And he was like, oh, my cell phone isn't working. I'm going into a meeting. I was like, wait, what? I don't understand. I think it had made it really clear to him that like, you know, it was a serious thing. We could, we couldn't move forward. Like he needed mm -hmm. to do some work on himself because mm -hmm. apparently like I've gathered like his parents had liked me and said like okay so you know when what's the next thing and right. and and so and he was supposed to come to my house and he didn't he sent an email instead and I was just broken for I was just broken because I thought like I can't even make this work yeah mm -hmm. and I fell into a horrible depression I'd wake I'd wake up screaming I like I had started doing like Weight Watchers like right like sort of a little bit before then because we'd go out to like eat all the time mm -hmm. and I was like ah oh, yeah no and, and and also a sort of maybe he'll like love me more and I'll be more worthy if I'm really skinny and you know and I I got obsessive I stopped eating I remember when I saw his his best friend after this she like I met her at, at a restaurant and she was like okay what the hell 
hell happened to you? She's like, you've, you lost like 30 pounds. I was like 25, but still like Mm -hmm. in a matter of like a very short period of time, I couldn't make myself eat. I didn't think I was worth taking care of. Um, it was, it was ugly. It was awful. And I, I, cause I didn't think I could trust anything. I couldn't trust my feelings. Oh, and he had, and this was key to the dominatrix part. So we had a relationship where there was some BDSM, uh, elements to it. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we'd sort of play around and so, and that was fun to me. I liked it. It mm-hmm. was, it was great. Um, except the parts that, that I didn't realize were being done to me because the whole thing about BDSM uh, is safe, sane, consensual. And wow is consensual <laughs> important. You both, it's, it's, uh, it's more vulnerable than a lot of other sort of forms of, you know, this kind of relationship and stuff so because you're playing somebody's mind in a really, really big kind of way, but you both have to be on board with the power dynamic. Um, I liked pleasing him. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I was uh, submissive in these particular parts. But then we were, I, I remember this was just a little bit before the Thanksgiving thing. Tell me if I'm getting TMI or too normal. No, no, no. So we were in bed and he was you know, doing some hand stuff on me, which was usually incredibly reliable. Mm-hmm. Like it was, you know, he was, he was good at all of this and I couldn't come. And kept not being able to get there. I kept not being able to get there. And he's like, I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And I'm like, no, it's okay. And I felt really bad for him because, like, I didn't want him to be embarrassed that he couldn't, yeah. like, do that yeah. for me. I was like, oh, no, it happens to all men. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. whatever. Even though it's his hand. You know? Yeah. I was like, maybe I'm just not in the in a right space. Maybe it's, you know, whatever. And then, you know, finished him off. And we were curled up and he said, what would you say if I told you that I was actually like trying something that I wasn't letting you come, that that was, you know, a game I was playing and I lost my shit. I absolutely lost my shit because I was like, wait, 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 you made me think there was something wrong with you and with me. And Mm -hmm. the one part of our relationship that I've always been able to count on is the fact that we are good together in bed. Like that yeah. is, despite anything else that went went wrong, like we were able to be our open, honest, or whatever. Again, about, trust. Well, yeah, about yeah. like what we liked in bed. Mm-hmm. You just took that from me without asking. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. And that was when I sort of really, really thought, I can't trust him, I can't trust him. I'm making myself trust him. Oh my God, he's bringing me home to his parents. Um, and and so I, I felt like this, this broken person. And I was like, I'm not... I, I just remember I was so I have a hard time at the holidays in um, in New York it's dark it's cold there are a lot of tourists and, mm-hmm. you know all of this kind of stuff and I was just feeling like and I and I had dated a guy in between and we had some of the like BDSM elements in there too but like mm-hmm. never too far he was he's great we're still friends yeah um, but that was just not I couldn't put my whole self into it and then he's and he now is like married to a lovely woman with kids and mm-hmm. um, but I just couldn't fully throw myself into anything. And a friend of mine had just gotten uh, interviewed at a at a dungeon, and she was like, "Hey, this is cool. You can get paid to like, you know, beat people up for money. <laughs> this is great." And I was thinking, "Well, I already have the clothing because I like really love the gear. It's mm-hmm. great." And I went in and uh, met with the owners and and stuff, and they had, didn't have mostly the women they had in there were sort of like girls who wanted to look like stripper with a whip kind of yeah. thing, and and that great. Um, but because I had more of a lifestyle sort of background of, of some of this, I, uh, you know, went in there and I was, and I remember my first, uh, training session there, but I, I, I remember I, uh, my first training session there, I was on my way over and I was in the worst mood and so stressed so, out. So wait, back up uh, just a minute. Mm-hmm. What made you 
go to this place. Oh, well, you found out about it. Yeah, my my, yeah, a friend of mine did. And And when you walked in, what did you see? I felt at home. You felt at home. It was uh, a beautiful the room. I did the interview in. It was this beautiful red room, and I know that's cliched, the red room of pain. Uh, (laughs) But the the headmistress was a weird girl, like big, tall, weird girl, super like buxom with tattoos. And, uh, you know, crazy, like, blonde hair that I, you know, I, like, she, like, big stompy boots. And, and I was like, So oh. you weren't, like, f- afraid? You weren't, I didn't, uh, can I do this? I Should I be here? I what is going on? What am I doing? about anything okay. at that point. I was mm-hmm. just like, nothing matters. Thanks like, to air quote Sam. Yeah, 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 and I was also on meds by that point, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and I was just like, I don't feel, I don't give a shit mm-hmm. about anything. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I was by that point like working as a freelance webmaster and stuff, and I was good at it, paid well, didn't have to be anywhere at any particular time. I, you know, I had friends in my life who you know I loved and loved me, and who had been really worried about me, <laughs> like through all of this, and. Uh, but I didn't. I didn't give a shit if I was ever loved again. If I just anything really. Okay, thought, so you weren't doing this to kind of make a living or anything. You were doing. I this had a comfortable because living because you at needed. The time. Yeah, yeah. This world, this what yeah. it gave you. And I thought my ass is never gonna look this good again. Like <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm you know skinny, but with a like the ass never goes away. <laughs> like, yeah. um, you know, I have the stuff. I want to. F- I want. I want men to desire me. I need them to be made to desire me, mm-hmm. and be in this position of power. I couldn't feel vulnerable. Like I, I couldn't be submissive. I needed to hurt people. Um, in a way that was consensual, though, in a way that I, um, so I, I sort of thought, I'll try this out, I'll see how it works, and I went in for this this uh, training session, and uh, there was a guy uh, got there, and he, um, you know, who stripped down naked, or I made him strip down naked, and he wanted me to slap him across the face, and um, it's such like little girls do it to each other on the playground all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's such a, a thing that it, it's. It's hard to do as when you're not thinking about it and you're a little kid or whatever like that. Like, sure, you're going to do that. But as an adult, like we're all taught. No, no, it's a wrong thing yeah. to do. Um, and, and the face is so intimate. And the way he was able to get me to do it was, and he's like the training slave there. Yeah. Um, and he and he had actually walked in there. He said, please cut off my 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 cock i'm like yeah no okay. cut off my nipple it's like uh, no and i was like if we get to know each other and we trust i'll give you something i'll give you a scar i'll give you a bruise i'm not taking anything from you mm-hmm. um also he was orthodox and um you know and he knew his wife would see it and, yeah. and he it was basically a message I'm like, no i'm not doing this yeah um and i and the way he got me to hit him was he he said you will be doing me a kindness i thought Okay. The empathetic person that you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I hit him and I was so surprised by it. I went for the backstroke too. And he seemed so happy and I got such an adrenaline rush. And he thanked me and asked me for more. Mm-hmm. And it, and I split into two people 
at that point. Yeah, um, you would have to. Yeah, and I w- had to name myself to be there. And I was Mistress Cherry. Mm-hmm. And specifically as a Brooklyn joke, it's Mistress Cherry Esplanade. So, <laughs> so if you know the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens, <laughs> you'll know why that's funny. And, and I just thought that was... And I have a cherry tattoo on my back. So... Um, And I knew then I could give people the gift of pain because I understand what it is to be able to outsource your pain in a way that is healthy and on your terms. So I also, I was a little bit older than some of the other, I was 30 at this point. A Uh lot of the women were in their early 20s or something. And I thought they shouldn't even be in a room with like a naked man, like let alone like a 50 something year old man who wants like to be hurt. Um, But so I got all the weird cases. Like you want to be, you want to be like, you know, eaten by a cannibal? Sure. Like you want to be, oh my God, I got all the cannibal people. It was really fun. All the cannibal people. I got all the cannibal people. Um, or people who had a very specific... Cannibals go to cat. They do. Because <laughs> I would turn them into a giant fruit salad or, you know, whatever it happened to be. And, or um, somebody, he was like, you know, nobody has... Um, he had also grown up in a very strict religious background. He's like, I haven't felt truly loved since my father used to, you know, beat me when I wouldn't do my lessons and he died and I haven't felt truly loved since I, he spanked me, Ugh. you know, and he couldn't ask his wife to do it cause they were mm-hmm. very religious. And so I, you know, spanked him and he, he, he it was a huge release for him, mm-hmm. you know? And I, did you ever see, did you ever like, cause you're so empathetic. Did you ever find like, did you ever look at someone and get disgusted and like? I only I kicked. Know. I had to kick somebody out once because I felt uh, worried for my own safety. Okay, but otherwise, no, no. Um, I I didn't ever have a set. I mean, there were a few sessions that were just like, uh, you know, whip me while I'm on my break from the courthouse. How long did a session last? Uh, it was. I'm trying to remember if it was ninety minutes or two. I mean, you could pay to make Jeez, it last. That's as, long. I'm trying to remember how long it was. Or was it an hour? I, it was. It was. So it was you just talk to them, and you weren't beating them the whole time. No, no. We would. We would get it out of the way. Like we would have a meeting beforehand. Okay, via and email you learn their background. And yeah, and like because we don't want to waste anybody's time. If it was somebody who was going to be a regular, we would talk like with a them therapist. for a while. Yeah. No, absolutely. And not. Yeah. And not everybody does it that way. Not mm-hmm. everybody wants it that way. That was. I didn't get a lot of the regular sessions. Like I didn't make a huge amount of money there. I was definitely not the most popular one there because most dudes just wanted a strap on session mm-hmm. and so they and that was too close to sex for me and, yeah yeah and so I would that is sex yeah right? yeah and I mean and you know everybody gets to draw their boundaries on what sex is for them mm-hmm. and some of the women really liked strapping on a big dildo and going on going to town so I but I to me like I you know I had started dating Douglas like you know a little bit into this and he and this is it's never been a part of our relationship whatever but mm-hmm. he but it was too close to sex for me and I thought I will be um like that for me this it it, it just it would be cheating if I did it yeah. and mm-hmm. so you know I, so some of the women like really liked that and that was what most dudes wanted to do I was thinking like get your girlfriend to peg you like you know what, yeah. whatever it is and so but you know some people needed that and that's what they wanted I just couldn't provide it to them unless it was part of an extreme scenario isn't that prostitution oh um, there are prostitution? Whole, there are different lines about what that actually means the um so we we were we did not do jobs of uh-huh. any kind no hand jobs no blow jobs okay. no you know foot jobs 
oh, the things people ask for. Yeah. Um, couldn't do that. Uh, the, the line was when some of the women would do what they called prostate milking, which was, oh, yeah. <laughs> Buckle in, ladies. <laughs> now the interview begins. <laughs> yes. Um, so men have, you know, the prostate, which when massaged directly, you know, is apparently intensely pleasurable. So a dude can ejaculate just from, from oh, that. Oh, okay. So there were some women there who specialized in that. Um, so I would only do sort of like, you know, the penetration stuff. It was part of an extreme scenario where some dude needed to be like hardcore degraded well being like yelled at. And it was never it, it wasn't a strap on. It was like a, a handhold device yeah. of some, some this one dude would travel through customs with uh one in particular. He was he was amazing. Um <laughs> dude in the music business who would like um travel we'd see him several days in a row when he was in town from London. Like he was yeah, and he would, and he, oh, he tipped really well too. Um, or he would be brought in, he'd want uh, to be gangbanged by a bunch of dudes while he was uh, blindfolded. Like, and we would happily set up this scenario. My, and my role in that would be to, um, to. And this was all legal? I'm thinking yeah. if we knew this establishment, person. establishment, probably, probably I have for no, them. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but he, this, UK. Yeah. <laughs> it was, this was a long time ago, by the way. <laughs> so, like what, the 90s? This was, this was early 2000s. Okay, um, we were there. We were in the pocket. So you made so up. He was delightful, by the way. Um, but but like in some of these and scenarios, we don't know too. Him. <laughs> oh, no, he was actually a lovely person. Um, he, I, but I would be the one who, like, while this person was being, like, and I can't believe this is legal. I think some of it probably wasn't. Well, so there were sort of ways around it where, so like this one guy, you know, he wanted to be gangbanged and stuff, so none of the guys could be paid. Okay, so got it. we would just so my role there was but could they be tipped? Um, five hundred one c three. No, here we would get guys who uh, this now I remember how we did it. Um, they were house slaves, so they were doing this because it pleased us. Okay, okay. So they were volunteers, and hey, so they got like, to fucking do. Very theatrical. <laughs> oh, oh, girl, the it, playlists right? that I would make for this. Yeah. Oh, there was so much. I mean, um, the costumes, the. Yeah, everything. Oh, it, like who was? Uh, I'm trying to remember um, who the band was who has that song "Rough Sex." Like, and I would make, but I would make these elaborate playlists and stuff. And we I would didn't really go to dom clubs. I mean, yeah. we went oh, yeah. to the vault. Oh yeah. Well, there's a big divide between like the pro places and we would guest star at like some of the like, wow. clubs and stuff. Um, but yeah, like in a scenario, so the, the guys wouldn't be paid, so that was not prostitution. And my role was to get in his ear and tell him what a disgusting piece of filth he was. And I would. That's, that's a good. Pick. I I would Do you think dissociate. It's because this is how they speak to themselves because I yeah. speak to myself oh like yeah that. yeah like I think I, I was I'm probably... the most hateful person to myself oh god yeah and so why do they want someone on top of that yeah I mean well doing it and getting and getting sexual pleasure I don't understand yeah. that I mean I would try to he wasn't my regular he was kind of the house regular so I never got to ask him but all the mm -hmm. other ones I would ask where does this come from right and so That's much interesting of, I mean, so much of it was from you know rejection as youth from mm -hmm. you know f you know from a lot of them was a power thing. They were powerful in some other aspect of their life. And so they needed to make themselves vulnerable in yeah, this, give up that power. this other one. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I, 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 I freaked out. I mean, 
I freaked out the other women who worked there because they they were so good at the sort of corporal punishment and some of them like in setting this very strict tone and all this kind of stuff. But as for the speaking as the voice in your head, the verbal abuse that I could do, like I would dissociate. See, you <laughs> suffer from anxiety, mm -hmm. depression, speak to yourself like this. And this is where you're finding your power in the world of... Yeah, I because I thought like they are being paid for me to treat them like garbage. They're paid to tell me, you know, oh goddess, oh you know, mm -hmm. oh you know. You, I dressed into the costume that sort of hard leather boots. I was completely covered. I you know wore PVC. I was you I became was something else. Untouchable. Really? Yes, when yeah. I was in character, I still rely on Mistress Cherry in. In uh, situations where I feel like vulnerable, I really need to assert myself. I'm like, what would Mr. Cherry do? And I change posture. If I'm going into a situation where I feel like I need to feel powerful, I'll put on different boots than I usually do. I'll wear something different. I'll have, you know, be able to channel. And like, you know, if you know me really well, like, you know, Douglas could probably, I never do it to him. Like he's always sort of looked at it as the grand theater that it is. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, never you know, judge me. In fact, the night we met our first proper date, um, I double dog dared him to come out where we were to a party, like a, a fetish and it was sort of like a, you know, fetish and whatever, like party. There was like sort of no sex, but we were like the entertainers or whatever. Um, and I double dog dared him to say like, well, it's, you know, $10, like $5 if you're in like fetish leather PVC and like $10 if you're not. He's like, I, th I think I can pull off the $5. <laughs> and I walked in and I did not give a shit. Like I had been out on a great date the night before that I had to leave early to go and tend to a man who wanted me to chew gum in his ear and breathe and th and like that's my throw worst nightmare. ice at him and he and have this whole scenario where he was the son of a woman who was the warden at a mental ward or like and just all this stuff. So I like rolled in there thinking like, okay, boy, what you got? Like I met Douglas, <laughs> you know, and I you know strode in with a dude on a leash like some stockbroker. <laughs> Douglas fell in love Douglas with me. said, I'm going to marry <laughs> well, I'm going to live I in mean, a church upstate with this Oh, woman. man. And so this guy was, I was pulling like Miss Tough Girl, like act like he was on a leash. He was wearing these fairy wings. He was a stockbroker or something. Like he was somehow in like planets. He was so sweet and lovely and he'd just gotten milked like and milked and pegged by one of my colleagues and stuff. Okay. And I, you know, made him dress up like a pretty, pretty princess fairy and like I strolled in there like with my girls uh, and um Douglas had said you know I'll uh you know like I'll you know I'll be at the bar or whatever like wearing leather pants I don't remember if he said leather pants but I knew to like to look for he'd sent a couple pictures but you can never really tell from pictures yeah, and yeah. Our, our cameras were not as good especially back then. in a dungeon <laughs> yeah and it was like in a what was that club called it was like somewhere lower east side <laughs> like on Delancey cameras. yeah <laughs> And uh, you know, and I walked in there. I was like, "Is it him? No, is it him? No." And I was like, "Is it him?" And he had on uh, like leather cowboy hat, like these beautiful like hand tooled like leather pants. And he was just like tall, leaning back against the bar. And I walked up to him, and you know, with my guy, <laughs> and quick backstory we'd had a, in one of our first emails I said what is the last meal that you had that made you cry and he told me and it was this long meal at his friend's restaurant and it involved me yeah mash and I wrote back to him like yeah mash say that to me slowly and I walked in and, and said do you, do you have something to say to me and he leaned in and said directly into my ear yeah mash and I was like 
cartoon butterflies and little like, sparkles, like the air, like like charged with electricity. And, and I was like, ah, and I dropped the leash. I was like, go over there, go over there, go over there. And we started talking and we went off into the corner and the other ladies like were sidling up to him. I was like, go away, go away, go away. This one is mine. And, um, and we had a date set for the next day. And and so he had to leave early. He's like, you know what? This is awesome. And I, I, I describing outfit, I was wearing um, fluvog, those cloven heel fluvogs uh-huh. with a red pony fur. Nice. And I was dressed like, um, we always had this character that they did Raggedy Ann of the Damned, like that I've been doing since college. We call it Raggedy Damned. And I had my hair up in like schoolgirl like pigtails. and and I, But I like this like, I think I even had it like so my throat was cut and stuff and I just looked like a menace to society <laughs> and um, like I just looked hard and I was ready to be mean and he and I was all melted but he was like this is great you know well I'm excited for our day tomorrow I have to wake up early um, you know I have to go and I I don't know what came over me I just grabbed him and stuck my tongue down his throat <laughs> and when you know you know <laughs> yeah got an email from him the next morning saw him like that next night <laughs> and it was just done deal wow. but then and I came out with it. I was like, hey, just so you know, up front, um, first thing we cleared up is neither one of us wanted kids. Mm-hmm. That was great because I couldn't be with somebody who wanted kids because I just, I didn't want to pass on a lot of stuff, um, you know, as my mother suffered from it. Her mother did. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister also doesn't have kids. And um, he was cool with that. And he, and I also told him Suffered about, from? Um, depression, anxiety, okay. a whole host of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some diagnosed, some not. Yeah. And uh, I also was upfront about Sam. And I said, look, I have some real hardcore trust issues here. Mm-hmm. Here's what was done to me. And I thought, like, oh, my God, he's going to think I'm some giant psycho. And he went reaching for his wallet. I remember thinking, okay, date over. He's, God, he's marvelous. He's even cuter than I thought he was. He was wearing this, like, fuzzy black sweater with a skull on it. Like, it was like a Comte de Garcon's, like, skull sweater. This is home. <laughs> I was like, ah, ah. I hadn't even seen the church. <laughs> like, just like, this is my second time with this guy. And I was like, ah. He brought up um, Amy Sherman Paladino. I'm like, like, you went to Combo Girls, too? Like, <laughs> and I was just like, oh God. And I knew that he wasn't just like pretending to like my music. Like he genuinely, truly like loved the yeah. same stuff mm-hmm. that I do. Like that shorthand. And I but he was reaching for his wallet to show me his driver's license to say, here's who I actually am. And Aww. um and you know, and I actually sort of figured that that was his last name and stuff because I after Sam became really, really good at stalking online and I knew his name was was Douglas and that he worked in real estate. He wasn't Douglas Elliman because he's real dead and uh, was able to sort of search. And I was like, I think it's this guy. Um, and he, he was like, if you want, here's my best friend's number. Here's my sister's number. Oh, Aww. sweet. And I yeah. felt safe. And then I went over to his apartment and met his Irish wolfhound and his whippet. And it was <laughs> goth, goth, goth. <laughs> and then it was so, he lived in the apartment that I like wanted to live in. Like he had painted everything, this beautiful stippled red and, and burgundies and had, you know, lovely skulls everywhere. But like with, uh, you know, he grew up in like the furniture capital of the U.S. So he really just like got it and I was like and his headboard not that I saw it that night 
Um, or did I? Actually, I don't remember. Um, didn't sleep with them that night. But like beautiful, ornate head, like headboard and stuff. Like the details mattered mm-hmm. to him. And I just, I felt so, so safe. And I kept giving him chances to back out. I was like, is this too much for you? Is this yeah. too much for you? Because I... Did was... you stay on as a dominatrix when you yeah, met him? Yeah, sure did. And, and he was okay with that? Yeah, I'd come home and be like, here's what I did today, honey. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and even like a bunch of... There's a there's a 24-7 uh, like BDSM community upstate. Like they have a, a, a place up there where they have parties and stuff. And so mm-hmm. we were like hosts of a party at one point. Like the, the women I worked with... Um, but also like there was a session that I'd always wanted to do where I love cake. Um, it's a funny thing that I say, I say I love cake because I have an ongoing like public debate with Kim Severson of the New York times. We got on stage at one point and debated pie versus cake. (laughs) So I was team pie. Uh, So I was like, you you were team pie. Uh, They told us what side we would be on. I was going to say, explain that. Yeah. We're about to reenact that. Yeah. 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 So it was, but it was a big thing. And it's, and, and Kim is, I love her. I've had, I like, I, she's one of my like idols in the food world mm-hmm. I've had like and she when I was a little baby cub reporter she was so kind to me and now she's somebody I love and trust she used to live a couple blocks from here so were you in the food world at this point no I, no I, you weren't it wasn't quite yet um but I love cake and I'd always wanted to have a whole cake smashed over me okay <laughs> and um and I'd had a boyfriend who treated me like that was weird I was like can we get a really beautiful cupcake from uh I think like Billy's or something like that and uh and and then have you smash it on me? It's like, okay, this is weird. And like treated me like a freak for wanting that. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah. that goes back in the vault. Like yeah. then he was like, whatever's going to make you happy. And, uh, and he, he was game about stuff. Cause like he can't, you know, he, it's just not in his psyche to ever hurt me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that's, you know, that's okay. I like work my yayas out on that. So mm-hmm. I don't need you to hurt me. I needed, you know, consciously or unconsciously to be hurt by people in the past, but I don't need that now. But this, mm-hmm. Um, was a mental exercise because I also get severely claustrophobic. So I had him like smash this cake over me. I was completely naked in front of um, all these people in a basement. <laughs> and um, he smashed this cake over. We've got like a sheet cake like from uh, Price Chopper or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he very, and he dressed up for the scenario. Like, cause he's like very, you know, theatrical and, you know, and, and he knew it would make me happy. And he, um, you know, threw this cake all over me. And then here was the thing, bound me to the bench uh, with saran wrap and I couldn't move. And I couldn't, and, you know, of course left a space for me to breathe and stuff. But otherwise, like, I, I couldn't move. I couldn't, it was like sensory deprivation kind of thing. And I felt so safe. And that was amazing. And that's mm-hmm. the, the extent of our, like, playing mm-hmm. in, in that arena. Mm-hmm. So he was kind enough to do that. And then when the women went back to guest host at this thing, like, they all stayed at the church. And, um, you know, we all took pictures of each other around because, like, there's a big, beautiful altar there. So, you know. The it, church where you Where we where live you, still live looks upstate. very much like a church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have all these grounds and stuff. So, like, outside on the grounds because everybody always needs pictures if you're in that business. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So, you know, he there was a safe space to, to do it. And he, you know, let us do whatever we needed to. And, like, made the other, like, the women feel safe you know, oh. too, and stuff like that. So it's never like, hey, why is he creeping or whatever? It's just like, they knew he was safe. They knew he was mine mm-hmm. too. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was really, it was really fun. And like when doms get around each other, it's really, really fun. And um, so my big hurrah goodbye to that particular mm-hmm. life, I was getting married and I was just like, and it was, and I was starting to have a little bit more of a career and stuff. And I was just, I just couldn't juggle it all. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, but can can a dominatrix have it all? <laughs> um, you know, and uh, and I was starting to not do the like permalance job that I'd had, so I just didn't have time to like. There's a dungeon meeting at twelve noon. Well, I'm at my actual job, so right. I you know can't do that. So my big hurrah was I threw a giant outdoor food fight at this place upstate where the doms we were all wearing our PVC and all this kind of stuff that was easily wipeable, and then the subs were all naked. We got cakes and cans of pie filling and whipped cream and like all this stuff and just bought and it was <laughs> the best thing and I got emails from people afterwards who were like thank you they're like we take this life so seriously and stuff thank you for remembering for helping us remember that it can be fun and silly mm-hmm. I would get emails from like I still I you know I'm still like hosing myself off like we oh that was the thing <laughs> crevices. too crevices we were all allowed <laughs> finding icy in crevices right I didn't know I we were all allowed the dumps we were all allowed to like go in and, and in shower and stuff like that the subs we just made them hose themselves down outside <laughs> It was so much fun. And and I remember on the way home, like finding icing in a fold of my ear. <laughs> Cause we all just like ganged up on this stuff and they loved it. And yeah. it was really like good hearted. And it was, just, and yes, we were wasting food. But, you know. And then you started being a food writer. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, you know, and it was, it was funny. So I, I started actually like, because food gives you pleasure. Food right? is so sensual and so fun. Yeah, and it all makes sense. And so I was really, really, really nervous. I because I wasn't. People in the food world knew about this. Um, they knew that you were a, a dom. They some, did. Some of them knew. Yeah, okay. but it wasn't something I led with necessarily. Right, right, right. It wasn't on your resume. No, but it was funny. I was actually in a meeting with with food and wine once. Um, you know, sort of coming from outside, and the then editor in chief there, who is a lovely, lovely woman mentioned it out loud in front of everyone because she knew because she thought everyone knew and I was like no no and I just and then when I worked at CNN I was terrified that because people are always going for CNN you know like Mm -hmm. you know oh you liberal whatever Mm -hmm. it happens to be and I was like oh my god I'm gonna get outed like my direct boss knows but like, you know, again, not something I lead with. I don't want to have, you know, and my book is coming out and this is in the book. So mm-hmm. I was really terrified. Right. I can't imagine yeah. uh, that writing so honestly in a book and then being in this <sighs> CNN world. Yeah. Now. Well, I, so I actually, and CNN was uh, I mean, did I you tell them? I can't this even. This is coming out. Oh, this they, is what they, I they talk were about. champs. I can't tell wow, you. That's... So the essays that led me to doing this were um, all done at CNN. Um, I had these two editors, Jamie Gumbrecht and Melanie McAfee, who championed this. All the people all the way up the chain championed me telling all these really honest stories about mental health. Like it was such an incredible atmosphere for storytelling. I got so much support um, they and they were like, this is a universal story. Mm-hmm. Let's let's tell it. And then I had to get permission to write the book, and because I, I talk about CNN some in mm-hmm. there, and then um, and then it just became a moot. You point. had to get permission from them. Um, yeah, in really? order to. Yeah, to write a book because, you know, anybody who works there has to because you're writing for them, too. So, like, where are the lines? What you're writing for them? Uh Yeah, like, any media company um, Hmm. has that, like, Uh no matter kind of where you work. Because it's like, oh, you know, how much are you going to be drawing from what you do at work? Is this Uh our work? Is this your work? Right. And then if I'd still been working there when it came out, um, all the passages that had to do with CNN would have had to be cleared. Uh Uh-huh. Cleared through it. But, you know, they were nothing but supportive and awesome. Um, But I actually left there. And went to another job 
where I was, you know, and they knew the book was coming out too. They didn't know so much about the dominatrix part about that. Mm -hmm. And I actually left, um, left there to finish working on, on the book. Cause most of it I did when I didn't, um, most of the book I wrote while I was at a full-time job mm -hmm. and there, there were a whole lot of transitions happening. And I thought, you know what? Like, well, I know CNN had you on a few times, right? I was and on all the time. When there. Robin Williams passed away, right? And yeah. So died. I, yeah. So mostly I was on about food, but then I mm -hmm. was on about after Mental I wrote. Mental health. Yeah, yeah. And I was, I was on, um, about depression. I was on about, um, not having kids, mm -hmm. you know, so yes, I saw that as well. Yeah. So they were, they were so open and fantastic. And a lot of the people still, uh, work there and they're just, God, they're great. Um, there's a woman named Mer Meredith Artley who's in charge of CNN.com and she is uh, the most supportive human. So I ended up editing others. So I was the food editor, but I also wrote for CNN living. So mm -hmm. I edited other people's like personal essays. She was such a freaking champ of that. Um, she's she's just she's a woman I admire mm -hmm. tremendously, and um, you know, and Melanie, especially like in the day to day, was just so great and you know, and and supportive to like have that kind of. I know that how uncommon that is to be have not just a place that's supportive about you being out as a mentally ill person, yeah, but then helps make you feel safe and then give you the platform to help other people tell their stories. Yeah, I that mean, doesn't I loved, happen. I loved, and then you were you were you read some comments um, oh, that, yeah. that was left. Up. I think it was when you decided not to have. Oh yeah, yeah. Somebody's... You were talking about deciding. Yeah, to have kids. And yeah, and somebody left a comment. It's saying, okay to do that. Oh yeah, <laughs> somebody sent a comment about like how you know I was not fulfilling my sole purpose as a woman. Yes. I was like, and he was talking about his daughter in the same breath. I'm like, you're gonna tell her that that's all she's good for is to be a broodmare. Mm -hmm. I am all my friends who want to have kids. I'm so supportive of that. I you know mm -hmm. I think that's a, I think there are a lot of different ways to be a mother, mm -hmm. in all kinds of different ways and stuff. But they there was an anchor in particular who doesn't have kids, so she's like, want to come on on Mother's Day? I was like, yes. Yeah, <laughs> so they I were saying, well, you choose to do this on Mother's Day, and uh, they're oh, criticizing yeah. you for that. And yeah, and I was like, uh, Mother's Day is also we're if you're a daughter, you have a mother, and right? We, exactly. You know, and a lot of people have incredibly complicated relationships with their own mother for all kinds of ways and it's an incredibly painful day for mm -hmm. a lot of people and I just you know yeah yeah and, and you gotta okay. acknowledge that it's painful for for me you know yeah. I wrote a piece following that one up about all the women who stepped in to be mothers when our own mothers for whatever reason mm -hmm. couldn't my mother has a twin sister who really stepped into that a lot my sister who's two years older did that a lot too and I think that that deserves you know yeah. a lot of you know, attention, like all the other ways to be supportive to, right. to, and to how kids. supportive you are to other people online. And it's, you know, it, you, you are, you're offering so much to people and so much comfort and it's important. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we, the only way we're all going to get through this is, is together. And mm -hmm. you know, so they, yeah, I, I realize also that I have the kind of privilege trifecta or quadfract, whatever it is, fecta of the, you know, I, for privilege, like I'm a straight white cisgendered woman with a job in healthcare and a supportive spouse and all these things that like the vast majority of people don't have. They don't, they mm -hmm. might come from a culture that doesn't support taking care of mental health. They might not have an employer who's at all supportive of this. I, I had a, a job at one point where uh, the, my boss was not supportive of me talking about mental health and asked me not to do it in the office. I'm like, uh, <laughs> I was thinking, don't you know that like half the people in this office have come to me just like for shrink recommendations? Like, yeah. uh, I was like, this is not, it was not awesome. We uh -huh. ended up like having a follow-up and sort of clarified some stuff, but it made me feel like, no, actually that's probably a workplace violation that you uh -huh. just said that. All I said was that I was going to therapy, Yeah, you know? So yeah. it was, it was kind of a, yeah, not yeah. good. But like where I work right now, I, 
I, I could not ask and for And where more. do you work right now? Ah, oh, glad you asked because it's so lovely. <laughs> um, it is a fantastic dream job. It, this website is called Extra Crispy. Mm-hmm. It's all about breakfast. Um, and then recently my job has changed. So Time Inc. has uh, what they call a food hub. So I'm part of that. So I also now write for Food and Wine, Cooking Light, and my recipes. And so it's great because I get to lean into all those resources. I went mm-hmm. and shot a video in the kitchen at Food and Wine yesterday. Um, the editor-in-chief of both Cooking Light and Food and Wine is just a phenomenal guy named Hunter Lewis who just champions uh, women, uh, people of color, people, just people who he's, he's taking a different look at food culture and how it should be represented and who gets the mic. And there's another woman, Stacey Rivera, who runs all of the um, digital for Time Inc. Food. And she's just like a powerhouse of a human being who is really good about like seeing where people's talent uh, lies and I was never lies lays I never remember who it is <laughs> and really uh, like fostering that and helping them get there so she was the one who said like hey actually you know you'll be writing for these other brands as well and so I can tell different stories breakfast is amazing actually <laughs> breakfast you can um, talk about politics you can talk about hunger you can talk about gender and race and all this and just have fun and um, yeah. about and we do a, a series where we interview creative people about like how they do breakfast. So it's it, like how a Satanist does breakfast, how you know an author does breakfast. Oh yeah, it was uh, just Blackmore. I never remember the name, but yeah, all different people how they do breakfast. And it's Sa- great. How does a Satanist? Pretty normally. <laughs> um, I just did like one with Mindy Cohen, like how she does uh, breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the next one is uh, Leslie Grossman, who I just like my heart goes mm-hmm. up for her. And it's just a great window into all different cultures about that. Um, but then, you know, breaking out of that some for food and wine, I'm talking more about. So my in addition to this is I run a site called Chefs with Issues that is all about addressing mental health in the restaurant industry because there's a, a, a serious crisis. So a lot of my stuff at Food this and Wine. This is a website. Yeah. Okay. And and a Facebook group for okay. people in the restaurant industry. Chefs just, with Issues. Chefs with Issues. I saw that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time on that. Um, and that's uh, chefs helping other chefs realize they're not alone in all these issues because you operate in this macho bubble of you know yeah. stoicism. Very. Yeah. yeah. So. So I, a lot of the stuff for food and wine is more on kind of the emotional aspect of, of that. And, uh, and then for cooking light, it's about the health aspects of it. I've been suffering from some health issues. And so it's talking about like adjusting my diet to go along with that. And then my recipes, it's just fun. It's really fun, like cooking tips. And yeah. it just wrote a piece about why Talenti is the best. I don't even eat the gelato. Like Douglas loves it because I can't actually eat it. I love the containers. <laughs> and I use those <laughs> obsessively in my kitchen. And uh, yeah, and it's a really great way to be able to stretch my my muscles and stuff. And then at Extra Crispy, I work with the most amazing people. People in the world like my work wife is oh god I love her <laughs> her, name, her name is I just want everybody to know about her I want to share her with the world her name is Margaret Eby she wrote a great book called South Toward Home and we're, we take care of each other mm-hmm. all day long like how are you feeling how are you doing how are you feeling how are you doing like great right. hearing yeah and oh my god like if something happens like last year my mother like almost passed away a couple of different times she's the I just send her a note and she comes charging over and holds me you know like wow. my boss is it's just an 
awesome guy who I can just say during all the health crisis stuff that I've been dealing with, like he's let me work from home to be comfortable. He's, he's just been like, whatever you need to You've take care of yourself. You've been suffering from endometriosis. Endometriosis and a gut condition mm -hmm. called SIBO. Um, just like each person, like our culinary editor, Rebecca, is just like, she's so awesome. I send stuff now to her for like gut checks because she like, she's, you know, went to like a woman's college, I forget which one, and I'm so embarrassed for, for maybe Alvassar, where I know she's had all the training and like, you know, cultural sensitivity and stuff like that in a way that I, you know, wasn't taught in school and mm -hmm. stuff. So I'll like run something by her or like, or like about body positivity and stuff. I'm like, hey, you know, is how's the language in this? Is this mm -hmm. a responsible way for me to cover this or for this other person to cover it? And I got to check it with her because she's so smart and thoughtful. I'm thinking like, now that I've talked about everybody, I need to mention the other. Our designer, um, Lauren Colm, like makes the the site look as incredible as it does. It's like her her sense of humor within her, her uh, visuals style is such, an incredible thing she's she's a neighbor of ours around here mm -hmm. and then kate welsh who does our social and um, works on culture too like she also like brings in these stories in a way that i would not have thought about them she's so like she's like the definition of like still waters run deep because she'll just throw she listens more podcasts than like mm -hmm. anyone i know and is always just like telling things i should learn about and stuff they're yeah. all by the way they're all way younger than i am i'm mm -hmm. so much older than everyone else <laughs> but they it never feels that way because they're all smart and thoughtful and just I, I feel really privileged to go to work with them every day yeah yeah well, I've realized I won the lottery <laughs> That's lovely to yeah it is oh and I was able to not be at work today we had a there was a fire in the office across from us so we're all just working from home today <laughs> <laughs> yay for fires yeah yeah um, no I'm a lucky lucky person um so Thanksgiving is yeah. this is our us. Thanksgiving yeah. episode um what 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 can you tell what 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 do you want to tell our listeners about anxiety around Thanksgiving yeah. and I think you just recently wrote something about leftovers oh, and yeah. protocol and oh, family. Yeah. family oh yeah. yeah so here's the thing like uh Thanksgiving for me is my safe holiday I I, I believe in chosen family in a really 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 big way so I have had the lovely privilege of my whole adult life, having it with with chosen family for many many years. It was with my friends uh, John and Eric at the home of a woman who was known as Mama Diva, and she would open up her her house to us like gaggle. Upstate? Of, uh, no, no, in Harlem, oh, she would okay. open up her house to as gaggle of white children, like <laughs> who and um, and make this and share this incredible like soul food Thanksgiving wow. and um, and and she and Eric. Uh, we're best friends. It was this lovely, lovely friendship. It was like he was like the young gay man and the older black woman who worked together at the Estee Lauder counter at Macy's, and they became best friends. What a New York story! Yeah, I love it. And uh, yeah. and so you know, Eric and John gave us like, like the gift of being able to sort of enter into the world mm -hmm. there. And then um, she passed away. And after that, like we continue the tradition at John and Eric's house, and now that they live in LA, and they're so happy there now and stuff. So like, okay, so we were like, where do we go now? And we floated to a couple of friends' house, and now we have it with our friends uh, John and Jen, who are so intertwined in our life that on mine and Douglas's ten-year wedding anniversary, or no, actually the tenth anniversary of our first date. Um, we all went to Blue Hill Stone Barns and he married them in the grain silo, <laughs> just the four of us. And um, so we have a lot of our celebration. They bought the house behind ours upstate. 
And so, and they also live in Park Slope. So oh, wow. we um, we cook together. He and I are working on this book proposal together, and it's so great because any combination of those two people is great. Like Douglas will hang out with Jen. I'll hang out with John. I'll hang out with Jen. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's never awkward. Depending, mm-hmm. no matter like which, because sometimes like you know you're friends with a couple, and then you know, yeah. but this is just like whoever shows up is great. Yeah. Um, and so we have Thanksgiving there, and John is funny. He comes from fine dining. He was at Danielle for a really long time. It's at Charlie Trotter's. He's very, like, he has a restaurant called Batard in Tribeca that won um, James Beard Award for Best New Restaurant a few years ago. Like, it's, but it's fun, too. Like, it's, yeah. it's such a great, fun place. So he he does this very fancy Thanksgiving with, like, venison and, uh, and you know, very proper wines and all this kind of stuff. So Douglas is from the South, he's from North Carolina, and he was has this dish that he makes every year, and he had been nervous about bringing before he knew John very well, and when and the chef at the restaurant was was cooking there, he was like, wait, there's a Michelin starred chef and like John there, and I'm like I feel nervous about bringing my down home squash casserole with potato chip <laughs> topping, and I was like, sounds delicious. I got a chef on recording to say like he better. It was Vivian Howard because she's from the same background. She was like tell him to bring that with pride that is the food mm-hmm. of our people you're yeah. bringing that yeah and um brought it and uh, i actually i remember he had brought it before to a, a thanksgiving which was fun that an ex-boyfriend of mine was at and it was at the home of, of of pete wells who is the dining critic for the new york times who has been one of my best friends for a really really long time and, and doug's have been nervous to bring it there and so and this ex of mine who i love very much but is a total snob was like what is this like potato chip crusted like casserole? It's like, ooh. Of course, everybody that got eaten and stuff. Because yeah. like Pete was, ner- I mean, <laughs> Douglas was nervous. He's like, it's Pete's house. He's like, you know, the arbiter of like food culture. I was like, Pete's gonna freaking love this or whatever. And like, so that was out of the way. But then when we were, at, I keep, keep bringing him to fancy people's house for Thanksgiving. But when we went to John and Jen's, he brought it. What do you think was the first thing that everyone ate every mm-hmm. bite of? Yeah. Absolutely. That's yeah. what I would go for. Yeah. And here's the good hosting point on um, on John's front is that he made room for other uh, another person's tradition. Mm-hmm. And that, yes. to me, is huge. Some people, um, when I posed, uh, I wrote a piece recently, Having Dietary Restrictions, How You Can Be a Good Guest and a Good Host. And a woman I know um, said on Facebook, like she, like a woman showed up, some years ago to her house for Thanksgiving, I brought a tofurkey and she was so mad because she didn't eat what, um, you know, she was fed. And um, and I was like, no, 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 it's it, it's about letting people have the Thanksgiving they need to. It's not about the host. It's never about the host. If you're gonna be a really good host, you accommodate people, you you know, you you do what you can. And the, the line I've drawn in the sand is if somebody is not willing to accommodate somebody, they don't deserve the pleasure of their company. So you're a less, so at any of these, so I have a very safe and fantastic, um, you know, Thanksgiving is up because it's really, it's, it's chosen family. It's, Mm -hmm. it's great. We are all accommodated. Um, John takes, John, in addition to being like great front house person is a fantastic cook and he has adapted some of his recipes to be paleo for me. Um, he's super awesome and you can do Mm -hmm. it with it. You can do it without (laughs) it, you know, without, uh, you know, compromise and stuff. Like if you give a person enough lead time, they can. They can make it happen. I made the best paleo gravy yesterday, <laughs> and uh, so it's it's really it's all about this communication, and it's about drawing you know a safe space for. I know like that term like safe space gets you know bandied about like oh that's the thing this the um, 
the snowflakes say or whatever like that, but it's an act of generosity to make somebody feel included and, and welcome. Um, if, you know, as a host or a guest, if you see somebody at your house who maybe is being shy, like go over and talk to them mm-hmm. for God's sakes, go out, of, go out of your way to like engage them in, in conversation. If they genuinely want to be left alone then like, yeah. you know, do that. But there's, there's a way to host where you include other people's traditions and thank them for it. It's, it's generous and lovely to do that. So at Christmas, um, I I don't love Christmas. It's just I get depressed around that time of year. It's oh. I get serious seasonal affective disorder. Mm-hmm. It's you know it's it's a lot. It's and then hard. Yeah, yeah, and then traveling at that time is and um is is a lot. And then Douglas has a huge family, and I love them all. And it's just seeing them all at once is really stressful. There are a lot of right. children. sensory overload. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah, I don't. That's what holidays are. I oh, mean, really, but they don't have to be. Is yeah, yeah. Unless we, you know, sort of figure out last year so I like you know uh, yeah I love that you had Christmas last year on your own terms and loved yeah, it yeah <laughs> did it with, with John right. and Jen we went out for John so John's whole thing is like fancy drinks out mm-hmm. at the King Cole bar mm-hmm. and you know I have the thing that I've carried over my dad has always read A Child's Christmas in Wales to us on Christmas Eve so we do that mm-hmm. My tradition has turned into I get everybody shit faced on <laughs> Christmas morning because like they have their on dinner. Christmas morning Christmas morning because they have their oh thing that they do they have their set menu their what and I was like okay this is just what's gonna happen I might have to tweak it a little bit this year yeah. for some of my dietary restrictions but I was like what can I make really really well I make whiskey sours and I freshly squeeze all the clementines and the lemons and. Uh, I make clem sours and I, mm, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I make a giant vat of those. And I started out, um, actually, I've started out making glug. Um, so this like wine with a whole lot of like other stuff in it. And my mother-in-law did not like that and let me know how much she did not like that. And I was like, well, well, okay then. Um, <laughs> and I thought, what does she like? She really likes whiskey sours. Okay, so the next year I, I came back and I made the biggest batch of whiskey sours known to mankind. Oh, she loved it. She loved it. She loved it. And then her sis, and her sister, her little sister, who is now 90-something, um, loved it too. And then um, my sister-in-law, who generally doesn't drink or whatever, I found her having a cup of it. <laughs> and what I found is there, there are a bunch of us who married in, and then there are those who are the siblings. And... Um, you know, and things, you know, readjust over the years and stuff. But I realized, like, it's a thing that I can give to people. It's sort of permission to, oh, cat got me drunk. I, I don't have to take responsibility for it because cat got me drunk. I'm like, yeah. I'm willing to take on this, ma- yeah. this mantle. I was just being polite <laughs> by having sex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, wouldn't want to offend cat. Um, they're one of my nieces. It's always so funny seeing my nieces and nephews because they're in their 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, was uh, <laughs> told she's only allowed to have one because she... Uh, she had gotten a little bit in her cups and told her husband, you know what? You can go fuck yourself, buddy. <laughs> She's awesome. <laughs> it was very, and it's sort of become a family like thing. But then there's also the part where I go out to, we usually deep fry turkey. And I go out to the deep fryer with um, my nephews, who are also all people who uh, married into the family. And my nephew, Jason, like passes around a thing full of moonshine, a gerbil of moonshine. Wow. So the key to holidays is, is, is light intoxication. And yeah. now with this gut stuff, I have to be really careful about my alcohol intake. Like, intake, like I can't really drink much wine. I can drink some cocktails, but I just have to really kind of keep a lid on it. How about moonshine? 
I haven't tried it. Well, and the other How thing does too. The moonshine. Go oh, down? the moonshine. The moonshine was so good. It was so ridiculously good. I haven't had any since. I, the other thing with the drinking is if I take pain meds, then I can't drink yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this condition has been so freaking painful at times. Yeah. Like it hurts when you hurt when your lady parts hurt. Yeah. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's real bad. Um, yeah, we get it. Yeah. So it's it, it really is. I wrote a piece for CNN. They let me write about like holidays and depression. Mm-hmm. If people can have their eyes open to the fact that it's not going to be holly jolly for everybody, don't ever call somebody a freaking Grinch. I know it sounds like, why are you being such a Grinch? Well, maybe I'm really depressed. Maybe this throws into a harsh light, like all I don't have in my life. Maybe Uh it's dark outside early. Maybe I don't have any money. Maybe I, you know, for whatever reason. The same thing you were talking about with your friend that tortured you when you were small. There's another story too. There's things. There always is another story. And so for... Be open to that. Yeah. And it's not about being... Understand it. Yeah. It's being empathetic, being a freaking human. And be like, I went to all this trouble and they're just sitting there with their arms crossed. Yeah. (laughs) And like, maybe they just need to. And like, it's not about... Like, I, I remember the woman she said like you know I made this whole dinner and you know she she did this and I was like well it's because it's not about you it's right (laughs) right you did it because you wanted to do it yeah yeah and no not everybody can just it's as the same just saying like to a depressed person okay you just snap out of it or whatever Mm -hmm. it's putting it on them and you know and I got a ton of comments after this like being depressed at the holidays thing and I wrote another piece about like having to adapt to your spouse's uh you know rituals and all that that stuff it's you know it's really hard and if you're part of a couple you have to check in with each other about you know how is this going and make some time out for it just to be you too are your articles all in one place online no i can um actually if you go to like tart.org there's like a writings that i haven't updated in a while but they're all pretty much but yeah there's a whole like writing section there and it's it's just a matter of having a little bit more empathy and i think we're moving toward that i think as there's been a giant collective trauma over, I mean, the trauma has been happening for a long time. The talking about the trauma is what's new mm-hmm. like, over the past year and especially the last like couple months. Um, it's, you know, I think we're at a point where we're all able to talk about it more. And I think that that's, I think it's going to be more painful before it gets easier. I was talking with a friend who um, is now dealing with his like childhood abuse. And, you know, I think so much stuff is welling to the surface and so many people are just walking around wounded right now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really painful. We are, we're the walking wounded. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it. it's, it's really true. And even people who don't look like they are, I mean, again, I, you know, I married into a Southern family. I'm the only one not from North Carolina and it's a culture that doesn't talk about it. Yeah. They really, really, really don't. So, you know, for anybody, so writing this book was a little, you know, a little scary. Like, okay, they, I've never hid who I am from them in any way. And it's, I did it in part so they could have a vocabulary to talk about it. Like, if you want to couch it within, well, you know, Kat's book or whatever, like, mm-hmm. okay, do that, you know, but, uh, or um, one of, actually, was it my sister-in-law? One of my sister-in-law, maybe one of my nieces said they gave copies to their friends and stuff, like, who aren't used to talking about this, because you don't yeah. I did that for Christmas. Oh. I gave, I gave your copy, well, your thank book you. to people. I appreciate that. Thank you. My publisher yeah. thanks you. <laughs> um, Especially in the UK. 
Yeah, because they gave, you gave it oh, to me. God. Yeah, I gave it to you. I, I, I finally because it didn't. Um, they didn't sell the UK right, so you can only get it through like you know, Amazon or whatever. But I spoke mm-hmm. at a conference in Galway a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Oh God, Galway is oh. so beautiful. Oh. <gasps> <laughs> it was, and then they took us all their County Clare to, yes. <laughs> to go and, and do this. So they had to import books to to sell there at the thing. So I don't know. It was weird. Like it. it this this was the thing about the book. It came out a week after the election, so mm-hmm. I didn't get any press for it. I mean, press is starting yeah. to trickle and like you know trickled in much later. Mm-hmm. But at the time, like I usually would have gone on CNN and talked mm-hmm. about it, but it was all election twenty four seven anywhere that I usually would have yes. gone. When people got... need this book, yeah. So it didn't <laughs> yeah. get like you know press that I hoped. It got it got mm-hmm. some, and and mm-hmm. you know Harper Collins did a great job about getting it out where. It, they could because anxiety and depression after the election oh, is huge off the charts for people so big yeah. but yeah but it, it sort of felt like i even wrote on twitter today that i felt uh sheepish and selfish i didn't say so but i think character limits mm-hmm. um but I, I did feel sheepish and selfish trying to promote my book in the middle of all of this when marginalized people were afraid that they were going to be deported that mm-hmm. families would be split up right. that LGBT LGBT yeah. people like mm-hmm. being threatened and stuff so I felt I, I didn't want to go out there and like you know promote my book and stuff even though I thought it could disabled. help people <laughs> yeah and I didn't want to you know it, it was it was a weird time and I sort of regret that I didn't go out there and push it more so I said on Twitter today like I didn't really promote it at the time because it, it didn't feel mm-hmm. significant but I still think it's a good book yeah you know yeah it's um and oh how significant it is yeah i mean it's uh and especially like with talking with the chefs uh, like i do because these are people who are conditioned just to be robots i mean it's uh, you are perfectionists right absolutely yeah and it's and it's a system that's perpetuated Mm -hmm. um and it's a system that is really under the microscope right now after you know uh, that sexual harassment story in new orleans uh Mm -hmm. came out about john besh where you know that and that story is tip of the iceberg Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, of that particular restaurant empire and what's going on in the culture as a whole, um, that more and more and more of this is is going to come out. That it's so bad, yeah. <laughs> like the um, the discrimination, the the assault, both the sexual, racial, like you know, cultural, like all of this kind of mm-hmm. stuff is is rampant. Um, so yeah, actually, before I, <laughs> before I was here, I was uh, finishing up an interview about what media can do to make this a little bit better and how we can make life better for female chefs and that stuff. And so this is you know some hard conversations are happening around that right now. Wow. But I'm I feel really lucky that you know where I work for like it's all it's super feminist and super mm-hmm. intersectional. Um, it is a breakfast website and yeah. and that I happen to know like food and wine are so they're so great and really really taking a look at not just this whose stories they tell but about who is telling them and getting in more writers of color and getting in people maybe with marginalized voices and and stuff and they're taking an incredibly proactive approach um and to people who are hired at the magazines you know and mm-hmm. and i think that's the way to sort of change a whole lot of this whether it's food or wherever else it is it's like you just need more you know women and just other marginalized uh, groups on, on staff to tell these these stories mm-hmm. you know and it's and it's something that i always have to keep myself in check like am i when i'm having people write the stories um am i making sure that there are enough voices represented am i making sure that um you know it's i was this was something i was saying in this interview it was um 
that, you know, it's easy if a chef gets back to you really quickly and stuff because they have a PR person making them do that with the quote, with the, with the, with the picture or whatever. How about I look for the people who don't have PR, who can't afford yeah, it, who can yeah. just, mm-hmm. so it's on me to look harder yeah. for, for that. So, you know, I'm culpable in, in my ways. I'm just trying to like, yeah. do better where I can. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> oh, sure. No. Um, and so we end up, we end, um, uh, interviews with, uh, asking our guests, who was their strange woman throwback? Um, <laughs> I guess and we did say Jan's aunt. Was the mic on at the time? I don't know if it was on. Oh, yeah, the mic Jan's on. Jan's aunt. Yeah. Jan um, Brady. Jan Brady's aunt. And now I'm like, I can't remember what her actual name was. Or <laughs> it's going to come to me. I was nervous when Isabel, your daughter, started watching the Brady Bunch that yeah. I would be Jan's aunt. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I was like, when she gets to that episode, is that going to resonate? Yeah. Oh, because I remember watching it. In horror at first, because yeah. it's this woman who is presented as sort of like you know kooky in this way that Jan is recoiling from because the whole backstory. Let me <laughs> let me explain this episode. Is this to, really your throwback? <laughs> I have I haven't seen this episode in a long time, so maybe misremembering this. But everybody is like, "Hey, Jan's aunt is coming," and it's like an aunt by marriage. Or no, it's not aunt by marriage because this woman never got married. But it's somebody's like, or maybe yeah. it's Carol's aunt or something like that. But somebody's aunt, and they're like, Jan, you look so much like her when she was a kid. Like, oh my gosh, it's uncanny. And this woman Jenny. shows up. Jenny. Jenny. Aunt Jenny. Really? Yeah, and she it shows up. Jan Brady's imaginary boyfriend, Jan <laughs> George Glass, you mean? Yeah, George, George Glass. Glass. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, well, and, you know, Jan was always the awkward kid on there. It's a, they're telling her, like, you look like this woman, and this woman shows up, and she's not a raving beauty, but she's so interesting looking. Worldly. And yeah, right? she's, and she's seen as kind of kooky, and she's, I don't even remember, she's probably, like, appropriating some culture or something. She I haven't seen the episode. And yeah, and, but yeah. she was seen as, and Jan was like, oh, like, oh my God, you think I'm this ugly, weird woman? And the thing is, the woman, the woman knows what's up. Like, she sees Jan, like, having this reaction to her. And she was like, hey, Missy, here's what's going on. Like, you know, I, you know, like, I know I'm not, like, the prettiest girl, but I'm, like, I'm the most interesting. I travel the world. I have this incredible life. I've been proposed to multiple times. Not that that's any, like, indicator of worth or whatever, but here you go. Um, and, I, you know, I think I'm pretty awesome. Yeah. And Jen was like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 get yeah, me. And I, I saw am. this woman who also has, you know, dark hair. I grew up in... Uh, you know, around women who really, they laid out to tan, had big blonde hair. (laughs) And Kentucky. Oh yeah. And so Kentucky hair. Yeah. And I was just like, you know, go Jan's Aunt Brady. (laughs) Who I was minimizing by not saying her actual name. I mean, between her, to Aunt Jenny and also that same time. To all the Aunt Jennies. To Aunt Jenny. Who in the, who came before you that you look to um, other than Jenny? (laughs) Um, <laughs> Other than Jenny, it could it's be all Jenny. Music, it's just it could be in food. Any, any, anyone that I you look to and Jenny. said, "Okay, this is my people. Yeah, they're doing it. I can do this." In in food, there are a couple of them, and I thanked them in my book because they really kicked me in the ass to go and, and do this. Um, Dorothy Kalins, who uh, runs Dorothy Kalins Inc., she uh, co-writes and produces amazing books by by chefs. She started Savour Magazine, and she is you do not screw with this woman. She is fierce and fantastic, mm-hmm. and and she when we met, I was just starting out in food. I've been brought on to <clears throat> pardon me. <clears throat> All right. I'd, I'd been um, brought on to the 
James Beard Journalism Committee as sort of their young web person because <laughs> it was, you know, it was very print heavy. And she sort of took a shine to this because I wasn't afraid to speak. For a second, I was like, should it be Cal? And I was like, eh, screw it. They'll probably not have me back, but whatever. And I, and, uh, I spoke up and she was kind of like, okay. You know, and took took note of of me, and then mm-hmm. really became a mentor to me. Has really championed everything. If I'm making any kind of gut move that I need a gut check for, I go to her, and I go to Dana Cowan, who had been the editor in chief of Food and Wine for a really long time, and she is brave and smart and a breast cancer survivor, and really just like does stuff on her terms. She has a, a podcast uh, that is. Um, called Broadly Speaking, and it's all about women in the food industry. And she has her thing that is like this, that is like this called Hall of Dames. Um, <laughs> and it's really, really great. And, you know, I had interviewed for a job at Food & Wine a million years ago, didn't get it, but she also sort of, like, took note and really has been a, a, a goddess and a gut check to me um, throughout all of this as I've been navigating my career. And those two women are just, they're incredible and they use they use their power responsibly. Um, and especially like Dana has been amplifying voices of like women in the industry in a really just smart and positive way. And they, you know, and they, they lead with kindness. I've, the way that they talk to and treat people is a, really a good thing and they they listen and they just love them both well Kat thank you so much for joining us giving thanks to you for your book <laughs> and for what you're doing in your position now for other oh. women well thanks and, for keeping it weird and I, 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 I was I've been a fangirl of both of you <laughs> for the longest time you asked about being nervous I was nervous coming over because <laughs> I, like, oh, I, like, I had met you I had not met you and I was like ah. um but yeah thank you for making a voice for for the strange women oh. out there I really appreciate it thank you thank so you. much <laughs>